Willkommen, bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, marhaba. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again. Episode 209 on Sunday, the 28th of November 2021. I'm Armish Bill. I'm Armish Ben. I'm Armish Matt. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. We've got Guy Murray in the house. How are you doing, Guy? Hi, guys. Yeah, I'm well. How are you guys? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. Very good indeed. I'm loving the setup. Yeah. <laughs> Glorious, isn't it? Glorious. So much to look at. I might not be paying attention to half of this. <laughs> it's I, like a magic eye. <laughs> you're only getting one wall. You have no idea what's oh, no. happening on these other three walls. I know, yeah. Surrounded. All yeah. sorts of... Just blank. I'm imagining just blank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's nothing else. You've yeah. just you piled everything into this one little space. Yep. Rest is chipboard. I know. Yeah, yeah. it's just a soundstage. <laughs> the world is a soundstage. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming, Guy. Um, Matt, you found Guy, didn't you? Somewhere on LinkedIn, was it? Well, no, I came across Guy on... Uh, it was on a BBC news article, actually, and I think you were quoted within it um, about... I don't know if it was about heroic hearts or just the use of uh, psilocybin or psychedelics in the treatment of um, PTSD, but I suppose mental health disorders um, generally... Um, but you've had your own kind of experiences with that, I guess, Guy, have you? Do you want to kind of explain a little bit about, um, I suppose... Your personal your, story, do you your, think? Yeah, your story or where you kind of, how you kind of got into that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the BBC, I've got a little bit of a bond going with them at the moment. So about three years ago, I was actually on there talking about how bad my mental health was and PTSD right. without any any treatment. Um like almost at my wits end with the lack of help and care there'd been from, well, in my perspective, the army or, or charities or just sitting across other people and being able to connect. Um, so yeah. And then I don't know where to start. Probably me joining the army in 2008. Um, I joined, I was living in Somerset at the time. I was 18. I dropped out of college, um, couldn't sit still in the classroom. Um, and then when someone came along, I was like, hey, mate, have you thought about joining the army? I was like, nope, not until now. <laughs> not really. Um, I mean, they came along to our school when I was younger and I, I kind of liked it. But I was I was, always, I was the rebel. I was always going against authority. I, was, I just didn't like it. Um I think it was just at home. It was a little bit authoritarian style parenting. So just any authority, I was always like, no, piss off. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want it. Um, and then when I was at uni, um, no, not at uni, when I was at college, I just decided <laughs> that I needed to get out of Taunton. That's where I sort of grew up um, and joined the army at 2008. I went into the careers office having no idea who was who was going to greet me. And he was a rifleman. Um 
and he was like, yeah, join, join the rifles. I was like, yeah, okay. What do they do? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, you know, you're the infantry, so you're the boots on the ground and you'll be advancing into contact and, and killing the enemy. I was like, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. I was watching Ross Kemp in Afghanistan and, and yeah. somehow that was like, I was like, I don't know, like war crack. I was like watching that, like, yeah, I want a piece of that. I don't know what it was. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I, w- I wanted that machine gun. I, w- I wanted this power. Um, you didn't play I Call of Duty be- as well, did you, when you were a kid? <laughs> yeah, oh, mate, Halo. 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 I was a big Halo <laughs> guy. Um, I, I played that obsessively. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, I was a bit of a, as a, my mum's partner at the time, he was just a bit of an asshole. And uh, my dad told me, uh, apparently when I went down there after like running away from home one day, I was uh, like, I'm joining the army so I can become a sniper so I can take him out. <laughs> my dad didn't like him. So I was uh, like, yeah, go on, son. Don't think you're worse like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Don't think you get to take your guns on with you. <laughs> or maybe you do. <laughs> um, so yeah, I took myself off to training, um, just made some like, really amazing friends i almost dropped out after the first few weeks because i was a southerner and i was up in catterick wow. with a bunch of northerners <laughs> yeah and I, I turned up on the first day i was having got my fags out and i was having a fag probably in a quite a poncy <laughs> southwest sort of way um <laughs> I probably shouldn't say poncy <laughs> anyway probably in like my camp sort of way that i do smoke a cigarette and uh, someone comes over and is like give us a fucking fag mate and i was there, like not if you ask me like that, pal. <laughs> so like straight away, I was up against this, like, yeah. I don't know, this sort of like masculine force. I hadn't really been around because my home environment was quite effeminate with my mum and my sister, apart from this stepdad. Um, but managed to stick out training, made some like best friends. One of my best mates was called Martin Kingett. Um, he was from Essex. I was posh boy. He was Essex boy. Um, he came down my my end of the woods and I went to Dagenham where he was. Um, and we're, yeah, we were just, I think we were reading the Twilight books together at some point. Like, you know, like sitting on the end of the bed, like stuck in camp <laughs> because we're not allowed out, like reading this rubbish. Um, and yeah, did six months in training, like really began to enjoy it at the end. But it was always a game to me. Like I, no one could phase me. Like the, the people in front of me, like they could beat me down and, um, but I didn't really ever think that I was just part of it. You know, I was part of this brotherhood and this bonding, this community. Um, and yeah, joined my battalion in Salisbury Plains. So the fourth battalion, the rifles, um, X green jackets, like a, a battalion with a name, like a, a fiery name. Um, and yeah, it was, I did six months in battalion and then I was out in Afghanistan in 2009. Um, me, Martin, a guy called Greeny and Michael Elliott, we were, uh, we were like really close. And well, I think if you had a little bit of intellect and you were like 19 or 18, 19, you're ballsy, you were given a, a metal detector. Um, so we went out in Afghanistan. It's like, you're going to be Valen men. And we we're like, yeah, fucking sick. Go on, then what's a Valen man? It's like, uh, well, you, you take this, this metal detector device and it makes noises and like you, you hover over the ground, and if it makes a high pitched noise, you get down on your belly and you dig it up and see if it's an IED. 
sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't sign up for this. Um, But we just went with it, really. Um, How old were you, sorry, when you actually got sent out to Afghanistan? Then 19? (laughs) 19, yeah. And you were digging up IEDs at 19? No, I mean, we did. We did. I think I picked up the, the metal detector once or twice back in the UK. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't trained like the the EOD are trained um, mm. like to actually remove these devices. Right, okay. You're like, you as a valor man with your number two, so someone who's sort of like watching over you with a, with a weapon, like you walk out at the front of the patrol as you're advancing towards the enemy, mm-hmm. clearing a lane so that if you get into contact, instead of diving into cover because the Taliban would put IEDs yeah. in likely places that you would dive into cover, so these choke points dive into cover and there's a chasey chain of daisy chain of IEDs in the ground that would kill everyone who jumped in that ditch for example mm. um so as a valor man you'd walk out in front and clear a safe route normally with two valor men so you make this lane as wide as you can so when they fire at you you turn into the fire but you you get down or whatever mm. it is and you peel along the line instead of diving into these into these ditches mm. um so yeah, we yeah we do. I remember on my birthday, as I was just singing "Happy Birthday" to me as I was like walking along, sweeping, and over the radio it said like, "Yeah, the Taliban has said they've got eyes on you, and you're about to they're about to launch their uh, their ambush on your location." Great. And you're like, oh. <laughs> so just waiting for this bullet to come from nowhere, and it's like you'd, you'd sit down in a ditch and. Um, they might, the Taliban be like, yeah, they're by the red door. We're going to shoot them when they get to the blue door. And you look to your left and there's a red door. And you look 10 metres down the road in your direction of travel and there's a blue door, a mm. red door, whatever. And you, you, you just have no other option but to stand up as the first man and walk into that, like, line. And it's just just now, like, I, wouldn't, I, I feel like I wouldn't be able to do it now. Like, I mm. wouldn't be able to do it now. Um just a fine line between stupidity and bravery on on my part. Yeah, that was something that was was just coming to my um, mind as you were talking there about sort of how um, I suppose your kind of world views changed from sort of now to to back then, and yeah, like you said, then whether you could do that again now. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's jumping a little bit. Ahead. <laughs> like, but in, if I give that my mind state now, and we'll, we'll maybe we'll get to how, yeah, or get to how I feel later on. But at the time when we we're in Afghanistan, there was no, I knew nothing about politics. I knew nothing mm. about um, the warlords and like the the broken up parts of the country and like who's in control and where even the Taliban came from, um, what their political motives were, how they, well, we, we knew all like the, the gory details. Like they, they like, I don't even know who they are, that they stone women to death over nothing. Or like you get told like these snippets or, or like, well, they flew the planes into the twin towers. Mm. Um, so we're told all the stuff that's like, yeah, like I want to protect my country, like that side of it. And that was enough for me. Like, I used that to justify mm. why I was running away from home. Like right, that's okay. what I've realized. Do you know mm. what I mean? And yeah. that became, that became my biography at the time. And, um, that's what got me to the front line, I guess. Mm. 
I mean, to be fair, at 18, 19, you, you don't know anything. I'm 38 <laughs> and I still know nothing. I know, that's the thing, <laughs> isn't know, it? You don't, yeah, you just have no perspective on anything, do you? But you think you do. Yeah. Yes, you think you know everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Or I did, rather. Yeah, well, yeah, I think so, maybe. Yeah, so, and then it, I think we lost Rifleman Allen in the first, like, week or so um, of being out there. And then Bassett, he got, um, he was involved in an IED strike. And the, the, it just, it suddenly went from, like, this game to mm-hmm. watching people come past in a quad bike with their limbs missing. And you're there, like, wow. you're like, what the fuck have I done? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh shit! Like none of this feels glorious. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was, I was just like, what? Like, I had a phobia of wasps, and I had a phobia of shitting in public. <laughs> um, and I remember rocking up, and the toilets was a wooden bench over a hole that you'd sit next to someone else on and squat over into a pit full of wasps. <laughs> I was like, I'm in hell. I'm in Hellmond and I'm in hell. Um, it's like the first thing. So I'm, I'm there like shaking and sweating, like these wasps crawling around my ass. And I'm like, oh, it was, yeah. Anyway. That's uh, some pretty intense exposure therapy there, guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm better for it now. Nothing compares to that shitty wasp hell that I was in. Um, I bet, I bet, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then, like, it was kicking off. I came back on R&R and I was, my friends picked me up from Bryce Norton and I just, I turned around to them in the car and I was like, I just... I was a bit like quiet and I was just out of lads. I don't, I don't think I'm coming back from this tour. Um, mm. And that was like the start of my two weeks break. And they all just like looking at me like, Oh mate, come on. Like, like you'll be, you'll be all right. Mm. Um, and yeah, I went flew back out. Was, I just, I think I was just dissociated. Like on the flight back out, I was there like, how am I going to get myself back out there? And just, some force, I don't know what it is, just gets you to the airport, waves goodbye to your mum, and you get back out there and you're with the lads again and you're like, right, let's go. Second half of the tour, that was at Christmas that I went home or mm-hmm. or in between Christmas and New Year's. Um and it was it was February, like one day I was I was out on the front of the main road on the Sanger position. So you have eyes on up and down the road. And uh, the boys were going out for a patrol. At the front was my best mate, Martin. Um, a few guys back was Andy Borthwick and and all the other lads who made up that um, that uh, section who were going out on patrol, going up the road to the other camp, which was up the road. And Martin comes out and I open the gate for him and he leans in for a fake kiss. And I lean in for a fake kiss and he goes, gay. <laughs> um, they're the last words he said to me because they walked on down the road and they got ambushed from like six different positions and i was yeah. i was watching through a set of binoculars almost like yeah come on like let's go lads um and i watched as around just um as he took around through the face and i, I just immediately i i just knew i saw the life go out of him like i, I saw i felt it i knew like within a split second, it's not like, oh, maybe he's knocked out. Maybe it's that. It's that like, no, I, I saw life leave his body. And it felt like I 
like an energy that went upwards. Who knows if that's true? Who knows if that's just a memory I put in there afterwards? It doesn't matter. Mm. Um, and Borthwick had been shot through the back and it missed and Andy, sorry, his second name, Andy. Um, he'd been shot through the back and it narrowly missed his heart and took out his lung. Um, mm. And just the firefight that went on from there. And I was just, I was just watching. Well, I didn't. I think I just collapsed to the floor because I saw myself in Martin. Like, like the chances that we went through training, we joined the same battalion, we're in the same company, we're in the same platoon. I'm watching as he's in a firefight, and then I watch as he gets shot and he's killed. My brain couldn't comprehend it. It mm-hmm. just could not comprehend what I'd seen. And then that's just February. I still had March, April, and March and April, February, March and April to go. Mm-hmm. I was just for the next three hours. It was just like just walking around, just uh, like like a ghost. And we all looked drained because he was such a character, and he'd just come into his element out there really as a soldier. Um, and yeah, and I didn't feel anything for three hours until I went for a piss. And it was when I allowed my body to urinate, that's when it just, everything came in. I was like, his mum, his sister, his Nana Moon. Um, my mum, she's going to be at home. She's going to watch his face come up on the news. Like she's met him. I can't call home. She's going to like, she's going to worry. My dad's going to worry. And then it's just like, it's so overwhelming. Just hits you like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this big guy Felix came up to me as I was just bawling my eyes out and he just like grabs me. It's like that muzz. It's like, if you break down now, like that's it. You, you know, you, you won't be able to finish this tour. And like, we need you on the, we need you on the ground. Like just, you, you've got to not let this overwhelm you or overcome you. And I was like, well, I want to fly home with him. I want to repatriate his body. I want to be there. I want to take him off the Hercules and, and like see his family and just be that like be someone who can connect that death with his family and and tell them the story of how he died like i want to do that because i feel like it's right but one in four of us who were the valor men uh one in four people in that tour got killed so we were down to like a few guys who could do that job really. And you don't want to hand over that job to anyone. Can you, like, no. you're owning it. You, you, you become so honed to the environment, to the ground. Like, is that bit of a, is that earth been dug up recently? Is that an aiming marker? Are those kids standing there with their fingers in their ears for a reason or yeah. whatever it is? Like you can't pass that responsibility over. Not, not easily or not with a conscience. Um, so I stayed out and pushed it somewhere, <laughs> pushed mm. it deep down, packed it down, <laughs> maybe quite a couple more times. Um, and yeah, it just like, I, I imagine that that was like a black seed of poison that in like I had, I swallowed that day and slowly over time, over the next six or seven years, um, that formed as PTSD, I guess, and, and, and really took over my life. Um, yeah, in an existential way, existential despair. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't take my life because I saw how scary it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seeing the other side, or what I thought was the other side. So 
I was too scared to take my life and I didn't feel like there was anything to live for. So I was just like, I don't know. I was living in like material. I was, when I came back, I finished the army, um, didn't get medically discharged. One of the, um, one of the officers told me that, um, I basically needed to man up. I'd just been promoted and, um, my, me thinking of my friend Martin and coming to tears all the time. It was just demotivation in my work role. And I was there like, nah, like I'm out, like fuck this. Um, and I left and then I started doing winter seasons and summer seasons. So snowboarding in Val d'Isere and surfing in Portugal, um, adventure, adventure sport and stuff like that was really stimulating and really good for me. Um, but unfortunately those, or fortunately those, those places are like drugs, sex, partying, like adventure sports. I I got caught up in the socializing and the taking the drugs and the drinking and, and the women. Um, yeah. Do you think you, you mentioned going and doing adventure sports? Do you think that yeah. was trying to sort of replace the adrenaline rush you got in, in active service? Yeah. So if you, have you read uh, the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk? Uh, it's a great book. Um, anyone who's listening about PTSD or complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, it talks about people, if they've gone through trauma, people are naturally drawn to try and replicate a trauma to try and find a new outcome. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people who've had trauma in their lives, you're trying to, for me, it's a vulnerability thing. It's like, how do I replicate that feeling to get the same feeling from either what happened in war or what happened in my younger life, um, in my early childhood experiences? And then how can I own that feeling inside of me? And for me, it was like through sport, through learning a skill. Like I use the analogy now, like when I was learning to surf, it's also the same as psychedelics. It's like, when you turn up and you look at the conditions of the waves, you're there like shit. Like, I don't know if I can paddle out, but you know, like within reason. And then you keep trying to paddle out. You keep trying to duck dive and you get washed back in. Like when you're learning, it's just, it's like so hard to make it out the back where the waves aren't crashing on top of you. Um, so for me, psychedelics are a little bit the same. It's like you're putting yourself in, in a state where your trauma and stuff's coming up, but in that state, you're trying to breathe through it and find tranquility in the chaos of what's going around you. And that's what surfers can do. A good surfer, they'll look at the conditions in front of them, weave in and out of a wave, take a couple of breaths, a couple of duck dive, and they're out the back in two seconds whilst you're still back at the shore. Like, how did you do that? Um, so for me, it was very much like learning a new skill, controlling that fear that was inside of me, um, and just like trying to own it and, and master it. Um, You mentioned about the party scene and drugs and that sort of lifestyle. Was that then your introduction to psychedelics or was that the, you know, more traditional party drugs? Well, to be honest with you, I ended up in like a, in a ketamine den just a few weeks before I joined the army. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I used to go to free parties um, like when I was dropping out of college, because I wasn't turning up to college, I was finding something else to do in my time. And it was going to a lot of free parties out in the middle of the woods where the police would come and try and break it up or whatever. But it's just a bunch of 
people just dancing around in the woods sort of dissociate. No, not everyone's there to dissociate. That's unfair. But like to have a good time. And um, I used to take a lot of MDMA and a couple of like, yeah, mostly MDMA. And I just used to love the depth of like loving conversation that I would have with my friends. Um, but then also with like the ketamine thing, I was, I was like, I realized it was unhealthy and I was going down a road that I didn't want to go down. So like the military was that saving grace in my eyes to stop me from that direction of travel. Um, and I think it is for a lot of people, not necessarily just with drugs, but gangs. And I knew a lot of people who came from different parts of London who, you know, they were having to take knives or guns into school and stuff like this. So for them, like the military was that that lifeline that or that promise, that hope that they behaved themselves, finished in school, that they'd be able to join the army when they're 16, 17. Um, so I can never take it away from anyone. Like now I've, yeah. later on in life I've met a lot of people who are more left. Not that I really care about left and right anymore either, but people who who call themselves left and they're like, yeah, but you know, you went to war, you made that decision. I was there like, you think that's free will? Why, like a lot of people join the military, like go and say that to someone's face and see the reaction that you'll get from them. Because for a lot of people, like it was a lifeline. And that's something like that realization now is like sort of, yeah, like I can't take it away from anyone who wants to join the army or, or that was their motive. Is was who it, am I to judge? Sorry, was it the case that as far as the the Allied forces, it was pretty strict and straight laced as far as narcotics go? Because we know Afghanistan was swimming with stuff, and the um, when the Afghan army took over, there was a lot of problems with them with with drug use after sort of after most of the Allies had left. So. Yeah, man, like, yeah, I won't say too much, but there's, there's people get their, hold, their hands and stuff out there, that soldiers get their hands and stuff when they're back in it at camp. Like, if you think, like, let's be honest, people who are the most stressed and see the most trauma are the most people addicted to drugs. Doctors, nurses, paramedics, yeah. people in the army, like self-medicate is self-medicating that's what it is it's like oh it's not an excuse it's like go and do that job and tell me like you know tell me where your relief is or your release like mm. so yeah I mean, well, i'm know. not judging if it was me i would probably be stoned 24 7 hours a day just to get through it mm. yeah yeah, you know? yeah so like we we came back and we were drinking heavily as as per um and yeah, we just decided like to stop the drink a little bit. And we started taking MDMA in our rooms at camp. But if the army had found us out, like we would have been on our ass and we would have been out. No questions asked. I think they've relaxed it now a little bit. Um, but yeah, we would have been out. Um, but we used to, like when we took those MDMA, like, took the MDMA in rooms at camp, we used to sit around and talk about stuff that happened in Afghanistan. Do you know what I mean? Like we wouldn't mm. do that. If anyone did that out on the piss, shut up, you idiots. Go pull those birds. Yeah, let's go. Um, what do you mean out What do you mean at camp? What do you mean by out at camp? This is back in the UK. Right. Yeah. So, like, like that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, taking the stuff, you you would take the NDMA, and that would enable you to kind of talk about what you'd experienced. And if you were to do that yeah. sober, then everyone would be like, "What are you fucking talking about?" Kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's okay. Be, you know, there's 
the the persona, the mask, yeah, as a soldier that we put on because of the the people who take us up through training, who have to bring you down out through your emotion and then build you back up. Mm. That means you're all calibrating to the same sort of consciousness or the same persona. So you put that mask on, and then when you're around each other, that that stays on. Like you are you are a soldier. Mm-hmm. And like, if you, if you deviate from the, from the schema, if you, if you're trying to change it, then you'll get beat down, mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. through language or maybe through like your weirdo piss off or you're not a good soldier or whatever it is. Like you, yeah. you have to conform like to the, and to that collective mind. Who, it's not like always a bad thing. It's that some of it's like, it's nice, but. Who's enforcing that guy? Is that being enforced by your peers or your commanding officers? Or? It's, it's, there's no one enforcing it. There's just... Are you doing it yourself? To yourself? You're, you're armouring up, aren't you? Right. You, you're, you're armouring up, like, with... I'm not soft. I'm a warrior. I'm going to fight. Um, and we're all in this together like that but we can't be vulnerable or open with each other too much because there's no space for that because we're about to go and close and kill the enemy or whatever it is. I mean, this it's quite a reductionist view and I'm, I'm not saying that's the case for everyone. And I definitely saw some of the younger guys as I was leaving, they seemed like a lot more chilled and open, but I'm not sure if they've been to Afghan, but there's a whole spectrum of different people. But what, what bonded us in war was death. They were they were the deepest parts. They were like that's where like that's where you connect on a soul level, right? Because you have to put your arms around one another and console one another. So you're at your most vulnerable point, you're at your most scared, and someone puts their arm around you and says, You're all right, bro, I got you. Like let's we'll get through this together. That's the that's like the deep forged relationship that you that you get because your mind is just you need each other. And like you cross those boundaries as men where like maybe on the piss, you put your arms around each other or whatever, but out in war, you're there like, Oh shit. Like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all right. Like we've got this like proper, it's deep. And then like you come back to the UK and like, you're not hitting that same level of vulnerability. Like, mm-hmm. or you might do with on, on some MDMA or, mm-hmm. or you might do with one close friend, but, people don't want to revisit those memories. Not all the time. If anything, like there's a lot of people like, don't talk about it, man. Don't like, why are you bringing it up? Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, I won't talk about it. It's fine. That's, um, a, that's a common thing I've heard with like our grandparents generation that a lot of our grandparents who were in world war two, um, when they came home, they, they never mentioned anything, never talked about it. That seems to be a, I mean, maybe that's just my perception, but I think that might be a common thing. Yeah, probably is, isn't it? Or the uh, I think the the common sort of thing is um, people didn't talk about it, and then when it got to like an older age, then began talking about it. And that's something you know I kind of find is quite often people bury stuff like this, the traumatic experiences, whether it's from war or you know childhood experiences, and they go all the way through life and they manage to cope all the way because they got. Perhaps they've got a job and a, a family, and then they've got grandkids, and they, all that kind of takes up everything. It's something to focus on, and then towards the end of your life, all that disappears. Your grandkids get 
older, you retire, uh, perhaps your spouse or your partner, whatever dies, and then you're kind of left um, to Mm. deal with it. And if you've got all that kind of unprocessed trauma, then tends to kind of pop up. Um, if there's nothing yeah. there to contain it, basically. And then that the way that that parent is towards their child or to their grandchildren, where it's bottled up, mm. because they that's the that's the transmission of intergenerational trauma, isn't it? Through our parenting styles, if we mm. can't talk about our vulnerabilities at all, because that brings up way too much stuff that teachers that doesn't give our kids the same language to be able to talk about their own vulnerabilities. Yeah. So, so just through the parenting style of men, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep this trauma to ourselves and it's too much for, for women to fully understand or whatever, whatever the dynamic is. And then it gets bottled up and then that sort of teaches next generation to do the same. But what I think we're finding now, I think it takes three years for trauma to, or three generations, three generations for trauma to sort of start dropping off within a family unit as it, as it's passed down. Wow. That's what they found. Um, I think that's the Yehuda studies and, um, intergenerational trauma. Um, and yeah, and now that it kind of makes sense. There's this real, I feel that there is a softening, um, at a societal level now and i think like being at uni at the age of 28 29 i made a an effort to speak to like if there were young men or young women they're being open and vulnerable at like younger ages 18 19 20 i'm like keep that vulnerability like keep that level obviously make sure you feel safe but when you go out there in the world into whatever the way you want to label the world. I, I, I still think it's quite a bit of a man's world with like armoring up. Like when you leave uni and you're going into these work roles, like make sure you keep that vulnerability and challenge the status quo with like what you're doing. And even if you're just writing down what it is that you would do better, make sure you're, you're thinking about that the whole time. So when you leave, you can take what you've learned to a new company. And I think it's just really important to like honor that, in our younger generation at the moment, because they do seem like they've shed quite a bit or, or, or through the parenting it's with shedding that trauma. Um, so, yeah, so I came back, I came back from doing winter and summer seasons. Um, I went to go to combat stress, which is a charity um, who looks after veterans. And I was going there for a two week residential course or something. And I got refused because my alcohol and because my alcohol and drug um, intake on. So I had book time of work and everything. And a triage nurse called me up and they're like, no, you'd have to go to somewhere to support you with your alcohol and drug intake first. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? So that doesn't make sense. I'm taking that because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was, in, I was so angry, so angry. Like I, I thought that was going to like help me. Um, and yeah, my mental health took like a real tumble. Like I was, I had to talk to the Samaritans and I was, I was sofa surfing or living with my friend in Bristol. It's not that dramatic. I was so <laughs> I was kind of crashing on his floor. Um, and yeah, and I, at one point everyone was out of the house and I had a day where I spiraled down, like so down, and I thought I was going to kill myself. Um, 
and spoke to the Samaritans and just someone asked me if there was anything I could do. Like, like what were you known for in the army? I was, I was known for having a bit of intellect. I joined as a non-commissioned officer, so I wasn't an officer. I was lowest rank working my way up um, to become an officer um, eventually. But, um, yeah, I turned on the TV to watch some TED Talks on psychology of PTSD and um, I really got into it. And I was like, hang on a minute, I might be able to solve I might be able to like get rid of this and along on the journey sort of through understanding my own PTSD and seeing if I can heal myself, then I'll be able to teach that back to other veterans who are also suicidal or I'm thinking, you know, uh, have, you know, are in this frame of mind. And it just happened that it flicked onto Rosalind Watts's Ted talk on uh, psilocybin for depression. So the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, um, and I just listened and then I watched Ben Sessa's talk on MDMA and then Robin Carhart Harris's talk. They immediately became like, you know, my idols. And I was there like, yes, like someone telling it how it is. At this point, my friends sort of say, so basically you just found a way to take drugs legitimately. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting way of framing it, isn't it? (laughs) I was there like, yeah, I kind of get what you're saying, but... I was also, I've, I've never been a bad drunk. A few people might disagree with that, like my <laughs> ex and someone else. Um, but I've never really, like, even my cocaine use just made me think with one mind instead of six different minds, like six different voices. It just brought me to one voice. Or smoking weed was too intense because that one voice got really intense and I didn't have, like, ways to escape that one voice with the rest of my scattered sort of thinking um but mdma i just straight away i was like that makes so much sense like i just talk from a place of no fear like when i take mdma i was like this that that makes complete sense to me like i find it cathartic or or whatever um and yeah and then i was sold i was like i'm gonna go to uni study psychology and counseling and at the same time on the side i'm gonna study psychedelics and the neuropharmacological sort of effects of, of these different drugs and um just sort of like made that my side hustle at uni um so the first year i didn't i didn't take any psychedelics i was i was going to my lectures and every lecture was bringing up trauma so i'd be dripping with sweat because you just you're just straight into like these lectures and be like this is why you're fucked up you know like <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this is something we kind of skipped over. It's like how it, how does it manifest? So uh, we've all probably got different ideas. People who aren't in the game, like Matt, is of, of like what PTSD is and how it affects different people. Is it something that's constant, or is there certain triggers that set things off? Or what? What, yeah, what was it like for yeah, you? That's a good. That's a good point. So loud bangs. Funny enough, <laughs> not very good with those. No. <laughs> um, and yeah, so flashbacks, but not flashbacks like you see in movies, just you're walking through a shop and then suddenly I'm there watching Martin get shot through the face. Like, but it's almost like in, in reflection now, it's like I, le- I was letting my mind go there. I know that sounds weird, mm. but there was a certain amount of control that I probably could have had over it, but I didn't have that control over it. So, that, so therefore that was the disorder in itself. It's, 
it's because you've experienced something which for me anyway like I was in existential despair I was like what the hell is the point in this life like I've seen death it's brutal Mm. it's nasty it's scary like every time I think of death I get vertigo and my head starts spinning because I can't comprehend it and that like manifest in like the feeling of symbolic representation representation of like a deep void which was inside of me um just a darkness um just just yeah just despair man no hope or like no um i could be around people and they would make me feel great in that moment but the moment i moved away from them i was like at the bottom i like went into that plunge into that darkness that dark thinking and my thought was always I always had negative self-thought I was like maybe I'm not liked enough or um like everyone's really chummy with those lads like why aren't I why aren't I on a level with those lads or um like those girls like they fancy those guys more than me or just all those anything I could pick up from other people I'd sabotage my thoughts with it just like negative self-esteem um I couldn't regulate myself too well so if anyone around me was hyperactivated stimulated then I'd automatically be part of that stimulation I'd oh yeah we're gonna take some more drugs a little voice inside of me like no don't take any more please for fuck's sake um, <laughs> sort your life out but I was there like no let's go let's let's party oh three-day bender yeah sweet i haven't got any clothes like and a change of clothes but that's fine um just making awful decisions and just my relationships they were screwed because i was so up and down like my the first girlfriend ever got charlotte bless her she was like the unconditional loving partner like the first i had a high school uh, or college girlfriend but someone who just poured love into me without asking anything back and i was there like Suff- she's suffocating <laughs> like, or like or like that's great but um i'm gonna do something to sabotage this because you know like i don't deserve it she's too good or whatever like maybe i didn't have that language at the time but that's the way i sort of i put words to it now um and i just i was i just remember someone in val Bazaar being like do you always have this level of drama following you around <laughs> i was like I was like shit like, yeah <laughs> yeah i do um i used to turn up to work drunk i've been fired on the anniversary of my friend's death like twice um i couldn't i used to walk out of a nightclub walk across the ski slopes take off my going out top or like this thin layer top and have my uniform on underneath and i walked straight straight into work out of a nightclub and they were just, they just got annoyed with me and they're so lovely to me. And they're just like, you're out. I was like, okay. Um, so just, you know, just pure, just drifting on like the highs and the lows. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, that was, that was pretty, oh, a night, like just waking up, I like drenched the bed almost to the point where I thought that I'd wet it, but half the sweat was up my back and, just and then I'd have to like put my cover over that move on to the other side of the bed and then I'd wake up like dreaming about Martin or dream, dreaming about like apocalyptic style events I'm talking like birds blacking out the sky or wow. hurricanes chasing me and my family through mazes and I'm having to try and get them out 
not being able to pull the trigger and just being shot 10 times and dying and bleeding out or like just like insane dreams that just follow you through the rest of the day. And you just say like, wow, like even in my dreams, this isn't going to stop. Um, and then, so going to uni, like you're studying this. So then it intensifies your thought intensifies even what you already got rumination of these, these bad thoughts and this negative self sort of view. And then you're going into a lecture and they're telling you even more information. I'm not saying it's their fault. Like I chose to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just trying to get all that information in your head and hold on to it. And then I was trying to go to sleep and I couldn't sleep. And I was blaming it on like living on a noisy campus, but I might be able to drift off, but then I'd wake up at two in the morning, just like wide awake and I'd stay awake. And I had to buy, like get loads of recording equipment for my laptop to put it all on record, like the lecture. So I could do the, le- I'd go there and try and take in as much as possible, but it wasn't always possible. And that first, yeah, the first six to eight months was just like that insomnia, like turning up every day. It was just, it was hard to even just turn up and be there and be present because I wasn't present. And on a Monday we'd sit round in a big circle and I was one of four guys in the class of like 30 women. And I listened to women talk about self-love. I was like, what are you banging on about? (laughs) self-love i was like what is this like narcissistic thinking like i love myself um couldn't get on board with that side of it i was i was all right talking about stuff and a lot of people like how am i meant to follow what he's you know he's talking about (laughs) afghanistan and i actually i was like no like come on like it's all relevant like even you losing your dog at the age of 19 still brings on that existential like worry like well my dog's dead and I had an attachment to that dog like that's still initiating the same we've only got a finite number of neurochemicals that can be released when we're thinking about these things and the body going into this state of fight flight fear freeze form response whatever um and then at the end of the year a friend invited me to go and work up near Dalwini 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 distillery in the highlands it's a whiskey distillery Mm. Um, and I was making coffee outside the front of uh, the distillery. And then in the mornings and the evenings, I was like walking in nature, foraging magic mushrooms. <laughs> so I had Paul Stamets like book on, on <laughs> mushrooms. I had a PDF. Um, I'd seen Liberty Cats before because I came from Somerset and everyone's chewing on it. No, they're not. not everyone's chewing on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like yeah, I have sometimes. Um and yeah, and I was searching in these forests. And I, I, there was too many mushroom varieties. And I was like, this is just dangerous or silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd been out there for about three weeks and I'm pouring coffee. And one day, like the sun came, like came out and just like, like lit up this area of the field. And I looked over and I just, <laughs> I swear, I swear, like all my life, this is true. I just saw the top, like of a chalky cap. And I was like, no way. And I walked out. I wasn't serving anyone. It wasn't like, like see you later. Hi, <laughs> oh, you found the mushrooms? As <laughs> um, I, I walked out and I, I, saw, uh, I saw the top of the mushroom and the field that I'd been working in the whole time was full of liberty caps. Um, so I had to very sneakily without like the uh, the owners of the distillery like seeing me walking around with this cup and I just every now and then drop down, pick them up, put them in the cup and see me. Um, and I'd take them back to my campsite because I was living in a tent 
like with another person sometimes or by myself in a bus um, on the edge of this wood and I brew them up, brew them up uh, with, with some lemon, uh, make it like a nice little ritual and then pour my little tea and then sit outside in my, in my camp chair and, and just like listen to like, you know, the woods and watch all the little creatures come and scuffling out, like drink my mushroom tea. And then I go for these long walks in nature and, I just remember just looking around, just being like, "This is bliss." Like London feels like a like a dot in my mind, mm. and I just remember making the the a, a small link, not like an epiphany. I didn't have any big breakthroughs when I was doing this, walking in nature, eating these mushrooms, but it was enough for me to gain perspective on all my problems. All my problems weren't with me in that forest, and then so then I was like, "Oh shit!" So like actually my reality changes from when I leave different groups of people, different environments and place myself in nature away from all that stuff. I don't, I don't feel like hyperactive. I don't feel depressed or anxious. I just, I sat down by the edge of a river and just sat and meditated. It was at a, a confluence where two rivers would met like that to form one larger uh, body of water. And I sat at the top of the V like sometimes with two of my friends who are up there as well, just like watch the heron drop in through the tree line and like fly like down this, down this river. Um, and I just sit there and just be like, this is heaven. This is heaven on earth. I was like, what else do I need? Um, and I never really used to appreciate that in the army because usually you're about to like put on a burger and pick up a rifle and <laughs> lug yourself like through the forest, like with some fake enemy off in the distance firing at you. Um, but it just really brought perspective. And actually when I went back to the tent one night, I made a deal with myself, my little inner child. And I said, I'm not going to speak to you. Like I've been speaking to you anymore. Like, I'm sorry. Like if I think about it symbolically, I took a knee, came to the level of like this little wounded child that was in me. And I was there like, let's, let's be nice to each other. Like let's, let's be a team. And, and I was, I just remember smiling being like, oh, this is self-love in it. <laughs> I was like, okay. I just remember it clicking. And I, I went back to uni after that summer. Um, and I just sat in a circle of everyone. I was there like, I kind of get self-love. They're like, what guy? I was like, I kind of get what you're saying about self-love now. Um, like force, like trying to force it out of my mouth. Um, and I thought that was it. I thought like it was from there, it was just going to be on the up. Mm. But unfortunately, I like, had some bad news about my dad or like had an argument with my mom and my sister. And I, I just felt the same. Did it switch depression. back? Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like straight. I felt like I was just straight back in this environment and I had, I just met my previous girlfriend, Lucy, um, at the time. Um, and I knew that there was nothing she could do. And I knew there was nothing my family could do. And I knew there was nothing my friends could do. But all of them were love, like, you know, I felt supported by all of them. But there was nothing they could do. Like, I already knew that. Um, and then luckily a friend online was there, like, why don't you come out to Barcelona? And I would show you a method that I have with LSD and see if we'll see if we can um, shift your, your PTSD um, when you come out. So I boarded a plane and had the bumpiest ride to Barcelona <laughs> in like a freak storm that they had. 
even like the the stewardesses were like screaming. Like, <laughs> Great. And that's not a good sign. You usually no. look to them for like <laughs> you know like a bit of clarity that we're yeah. not going down in this storm. Um, and that was just the start of it. I was like, oh, what? Have I? I was there, like, just put me down. Like, I'll do anything. God, like whoever you are. Um, and landed in Barcelona and then made it to this random chateau that he was looking after. I'm not sure they call it chateau in Barcelona. Um, and yeah, and rocked up and met him and his partner. It was just those two there. And um, they're really lovely. And I went on a walk with the guy. So it was a, a guy who was, he was probably about 10 years older than me and his partner was about the same age as me. Um, and he, I went walking with him the next day and yeah, he he had some rapé, you know the the stuff that people get they get it blown up their noses at the start of like ritual and ceremony, and it's meant to like clear the mind. Right. It was just horrible. Like whatever he blew up my nose, I was there like, oh god, like, it's like no, what is this? And it, it was just getting me to explain this whole story that I've been explaining to you, and I'm just going over it and going over it, and he's like, oh, that's interesting. I'm there like, oh. That's all you got to say, is it? Like, I don't know. I don't know like what I expected him to say. Um, so the next night we took a triple dose, so like three, almost four hundred um, micro micrograms of um, of LSD, so like three drops of a pipette um, liquid form onto my tongue. Like they've made like a really nice setting in front of an open fire. Um, and yeah, just when we went into it and after like an hour, I was lying with my head in his partner's lap, like going over the story. Um, and he was and the guide was there like, oh, yeah, OK, sure. Yeah. And I was there like, what does this man want from me? I was like, I'm opening up. Like, I'm telling you everything. And he's, he was like, yeah, yeah, OK. Um, and after a while, he got bored. He's like, let's stand up, let's take a walk outside. So we take a walk outside, um, we're walking around the grounds. And he's like, like, look at this leaf, like the same same consciousness this leaf has you have in you. And I'm there like, yeah, I've heard this stuff before, mate. <laughs> like, Just pure resisting. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm one with nature. Nature is one with me. I get it. And he's like, okay. And he takes me to like the front of this church, and he's like, inside of here is divine beauty. He's like, but you can't walk through these doorways with any sin or any anything that like left inside of you. And that, um, that's going to, you know, that you, you can't take it through these doors. So I was like, all right, mate. Um, I was like, just going around in circles with my story and this narrative. And he was like, he's like, guy, I love you. And I was like, I, yeah, I love you too, bro. I'm tripping balls. Like the sky is, it looks like something from Stranger Things. It looks like if all your lights are like even more illuminated in the background of you, like everything's just melting into each other. And this guy's telling me he loves me. And I'm there like, yeah, man, like, cool. I love you too. And then he's like, no, I love you. And I'm like, I'm not gay, mate. I was like, I'm not gay. <laughs> He's there like, you're more gay than you know, guy. And I was like, <laughs> like, I, was, I was there like, I was like, great. So I've come to Barcelona and I'm about to be raped by a guy in a castle, many miles away from anyone. 
um, this is it. This is I've got myself into this situation. And then his partner was, so he's also tripping as well. So he's tripping with me. His partner sat off to one side and I run over to her like, save me. Like, you know, like she was the, she was the mother figure in this and he was this like father figure, but also like lover figure. And it's like, if you're into Jungian psychology, like <laughs> people usually have like the father lover combination that we look up to is like or look, like women sometimes look towards men or men look towards women as a caregiver and lover um and I was like obviously projecting all this stuff onto them she was like she was like guy why don't you go and have a walk I, I was like I feel attacked like he's like like what's he doing like I'm scared and she's like why don't you take a walk around the garden and have a think about it like go like go in and, and try and find why you're scared I walked around the garden um, and I was thinking, like, my name's Guy. Like, all through my life, people have been like, gay guy or, like, changing, like, on the U on my books, like, making it an A in, like, <laughs> like school books. So I'd get it and I'd be like, great, gay Murray again today, am I? Um, and I just, I just, my sister's gay and, and everything. And I was, and I was like, why have, why have I just suddenly felt attacked? I was like because all the boundaries are dissolving in your mind. Um, and I was, I was just said, I, I don't care. I was, and when I, when I realized I don't care, I went back over. I was like, I don't care. Like I like guy, I like men like cool, but he was there like, but, and I was there like, I can't receive love from men. And he was there like, can you at all? And I was like, no, like I feel uncomfortable around guys, and it's probably because of like my stepdad and moving away from my dad when I was really young, and I started to j- join the dots. I was like, when I walk into a social environment, I come in with my armor on. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, lads. So what's going on? And I was, I was like, I was like, there's just all this armor that's on me. And he was like, um, and he's like, give me a hug, man. And I gave him a hug. And instead of doing the hug I gave him a hug and relaxed into him and I was like oh shit I was like oh man like I can fucking hug and I just it was like my central nervous system just went and I was like I was like oh my god I was like I feel great and then we went back inside. Oh, we opened the door to the church. There was fuck all in it. It sounded, um, it was quite interesting that you were able to maintain your kind of walls or your barriers whilst on a triple dose of uh, LSD. So it was that ingrained, sort yeah. of like how you were coping with things. And that was the resistance. Shift. Yeah, like there was, the, but that was the resistance to him. Like, oh yeah, look at this, and like yeah. he could feel it. Or the story I was telling all the way through, he knew that there was someone behind that story telling it, mm-hmm. and it was my ego slowly <laughs> dissolving as I'm taking these drugs. So that's that was about ten hours into the trip. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, it lasts for about twelve hours or maybe thirteen or fourteen with the amount that we took. But we went back inside and we sat down. Um, and they gave me some space and it was almost like they knew they could see some processing going on. Mm. And I was just sat there and, and it was like, I've described it before this way. It was like everything in my life had been all right. I was starting to realize like you've had this victim narrative, this low self-esteem 
And it just reminds me of that Marianne Williamson uh, poem. It's like, it's, um, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond all measure. Um, and I just started thinking that way. I was like, I was like, this narrative has been holding you back. And I, I began to see what that narrative had been made of. Like the Gordian's knot had been lifted out of all this knot, this emotional knot inside of me. And then it was just like laid out in these strands. And I was there like, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. The only thing that makes sense is not like this PT that doesn't make sense is PTSD diagnosis. Why have I identified with it? Because it was a way of getting people to feel sorry for me. Maybe like a narcissist, like an abandonment wound. Like I just wanted, I wanted that care. Like, whatever it was i just i just knew at that point that that was chosen suffering and then like the dalai lama stuff started making sense as i was like oh like um pain is inevitable but suffering is choice or like something along those lines yeah. and just inside something clicked and then it felt like my like my chest was open and i had this like minute trip um where it just felt like direct love from the cosmos was just pouring straight into me and i was just there like i was like oh my god i love myself man like what is this and it was just self-love like i'd never i'd never i hadn't felt that because i'd never managed to form deep attachments with my people around me so my name's guy allen and my, my uncle was killed, it was called Alan, the year like the year before I was born. So I was born into a grieving family. So I was in the womb when I was when my mum was still grieving. Um, so I came into the family dynamic as my mum and dad was sort of beginning to break up. Um so if your if your parent, bless her, like if she's going through like this huge emotional she was the middle child and now she's become the top child like with my auntie. My nan went into depression for many years. My granddad was looking after my nan. Um, so that's fight, flight or fear response from my mum or like having to hold on to this. And that, cort- that level of cortisol is going straight through the womb, straight into me, which means I'm born without an ability to absorb cortisol as much because those cortisol receptors are potentially damaged, which means my temperament's being shaped in the first year of life, which means my mum can't regulate herself so that I can't learn how to regulate myself with my mother. So I switch to secondary responses, which is going inside, which means I can't receive love from the outside. So then when I hug Ralph for the first time since I can ever remember, my central nervous system, apart from sex, which is why I used to be addicted to sex, my central nervous syncs with a man's. And I'm like, oh, so this is a rewiring of like that initial limbic system, which was shaped in the first few years of life. This is like the first memories that are emotionally encoded in my brain because I never had access to language to process those memories. So this is going in real deep. And I'm just having all these thoughts. And when I have my eyes closed, all these religious symbols are flying at me. Um, and I don't take this, I don't think like this, I, I just have fun with this. Like, mm. this is what I saw, but I don't think that I saw God or what I, I don't know. I just don't care. Like I had this image of where I, 
I was stood at the back and there were people walking along this path into light and all these religious symbols flying out of the light towards me. And there were figures, like blackened figures because of the, the silhouette of the, the light that was shining at me. People were giving them a hand up onto this path, walking into this light. I was like, this is what, this is what I want to do. I want to help other people find, like, find what I've just found right now. Um, and I came round and I said to, said to the guide, I was like, I'm going to be sick. He was like, quick, let's go outside. And I went over and I was sick, the blackest bile that has ever that I've seen come out of a human being. It was like tar, tar from the pits of my stomach. The dog almost started eating it. And I was there like, <laughs> no, they're, they're my demons. They're my, they're my shadows. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to ingest that stuff. Um, and I think it was, and it like, it's, I think that was my, that was the bile that had manifest from my depression and my melancholy and like, and, and I got it up and I was just there and I was just looking at this sick and I was like, that's what PTSD looks like. <laughs> um, it's so symbolic that, isn't it? Oh thing to, uh, well, that's the other thing. I, I was quite interested to sort of hear whether you had that kind of religious experience because it seems to be something that every, well, most people describe like they, they, they um, have some kind of battle, whether that be with like some kind of, Dragon, uh, yeah, a dragon, or you it know, a demon, like a demon, or it a feels demon, like demons, yeah, yeah. And then after that, you get through that, and then there is this kind of feeling that you you do have a connection with God. That's the way most people kind of describe it. And I find that, um, well, just fascinating. Basically, that process, it's, and it's just repeated yeah. and repeated and repeated. But this is now I'm just I'm just reading like great like books to help me with the vocabulary to articulate this and that and they're they're books like on Celtic spiritual wisdom and and like like words that are religious and it's like well I don't wanna take I don't wanna like what's it, cultural appropriation. I don't wanna just describe I'm sorry like if I'm describing it in a Christian way or if I'm sorry if I'm describing it in like a Muslim like or whatever. I'm just sorry if I'm just taking your words. But right now, they seem to be the only words that I can use to describe my experience. Until now, I pair it with science, um, which is the bridge for me between science and spirituality. Now I understand my surrender to other, my surrender to other, specifically a man at that point, um, allowed me to receive love from this man, which then felt feminine and it was like it was like I accepted myself for both man and women or what we symbolically call man and women inside of me and I embraced like the effect my effeminate camp nature as well as like my masculine nature and then I realized I was consciousness behind both the symbolic masculine and feminine it's just all it's just all a story we've told each other but we're just consciousness inhabiting these bodies and I so happen to have masculine, like a male sex, and that's cool. And actually, now whoever I come across, I can just be intimate with. And then I realized in there, I was like, agape love, love for all mankind and humanity, and eros love, what you choose to have with people in, with your language, with safe boundaries, in a safe way, making sure that people are respecting you and you're respecting them. 
And then this is just something that I choose to have with people when I feel comfortable, but agape love I always have. And that feels like the light, the joy and the grace that, that is unshakable now at my heart. Like I can be with, I feel like I can be with people now who are dying. I feel like I can be with people who have existential despair or, um, or they have anxiety or depression because at the core, I feel like I can't be moved. <laughs> like, I can be moved emotionally and, and I can I can feel people's energy and I can completely take in their emotion and allow myself to reflect that back to them and be compassionate and attuned and congru- congruent in our conversation. But whereas before I was walking around and I didn't know where my emotional boundary ended and where someone else's began, I couldn't differentiate between my emotions and someone else's. Now I completely understood where I sat in time and space. And that was the first time. And I remember walking out the next morning, I was like, why does everything look different? And the guide was there like, it's called an afterglow, bro. <laughs> I, was like, it's like, I was like, yeah. And I thought about this a lot. I was like, what is the afterglow? And it's because it's like the analogy. I feel like the weight, the weight of the world is on my shoulders. That's what I felt before the trip. But afterwards I felt that there was no weight. I was just in relation to objects. I was part of it. Whereas before it was like everything looking at me, like depression is a bit like, you know, it's a little bit self-centered. Like <laughs> I have to like admit that now it's, you know, you think that is because you're protecting yourself. You're inwards like this the whole time even though you can be gregarious and like have a front and everything switched. And I was just there, like, I just looked up and started looking around and noticing in a different way. And that was just that feeling that that's never left me. And now like I can meditate on that feeling. Wow. Um, and I, yeah, thank the guys. And I said, cheers. See you later. <laughs> um, jumped on the plane and then came back to England and, yeah, started telling my story a bit. Mm. Um, How long ago was that? So has it been? So this is the other thing. I sort of, um, yeah. I've been looking into it. it. Was like some people, you know, didn't necessarily get much from it. You know, when they did it, the 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 minority, I would say, um, and that's yeah. what it's kind of bore out of the the research. Um, but some people kind of had a, like a lasting effect for six months, but then may, they potentially had another dose after that, basically, and that sort of switched it back again. How's it been for you doing it? So I did that back in January, February 2019, I think. Mm -hmm. That was the big bang for me. Like, it's just not, that was the rebirth. Right. I haven't stopped unraveling. Okay. And I I will never, like, I will never stop unraveling or turning into my fear now. Now Mm -hmm. it's like I feel, wherever I feel, um, I have a, like, if I can feel myself being angry about something, it's uh, like, you can't have anger. Like the, the, the thing that I learned was if, if through my early childhood experiences, I was very sensitive so that whoever said, I can remember all like nasty things that have ever been said to me or the way people have knocked my self-esteem. I was that sensitive that all those memories were encoded and then joining the army. And I just, I just realized, I was like, well, who, the, who was I fighting in Afghanistan? And what happened in their early childhood? 
they were born in poverty. Like their family were killed in war. Like warlords, like lined their family up and shot them. Did I kill the person who killed Martin? Did I kill one of their friends the, the day before? Mm-hmm. And I was and like I was like it was, it was in the Bible or something like that. Is like when once you learn to love thy enemy, like you realize like you don't have one or something like that. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> it um, sounds like Jesus. Like, that, yeah. <laughs> that feeling I was there like, well then and sort of like everyone's a little bit forgiven. Like if you're born into that, not like obviously what your actions are, but again, free will. I was there like, well, where was their free will? Where was my free will? And then once I let go of that, like I was like, well, I'm, I'm still a warrior. Like I can still fight. I know I've got that in me. Like if anything really comes up, but I'm not going to be sent by any politician to a country I know nothing about, to an enemy I know nothing about. Because isn't that like that's the equivalent of walking down a street and your mate coming over and being like, see that big tall dude down there. He wants to knock you out. <laughs> and like, we should go and knock him out first. Yep, exactly. And like not knowing anything about that guy and just like walking up and just getting in a scrap for no reason. Like mm. it's not completely the same because obviously it's how, <laughs> like there's, there's people, you know, people do horrendous things and that gets passed back to us as a country. And they do like, it's just difficult. I don't really like talking about like mm. the right and wrong of that. I just stay out of it now mm-hmm. um, yeah. and just Politics. focus on helping people who who are like coming back from that environment. Well, I mean, if all if all world world leaders were meant to, you know, it's mandatory for them to send their own kids to the front yeah. lines, and um, we'd see a lot less war started. I think probably, yeah. You know, it's very easy to sign a piece of paper yeah. to send other people's children mm. into harm. And, you know, we know that over, you know, I guess it's justified in history in certain points of time. Things have had to be done. Um, But, yeah, over the last sort of 30 years, you wonder about the the moral foundations of a lot of our incursions, particularly into the Middle East. But, yeah, we shouldn't get on to that. One one thing I wanted to pick up were um, going back to the the LSD garden in the church... Mm. uh, I found it really interesting how you used the word armoring and you were describing your armoring being sort of stripped away. And it was totally reminiscent of Peter Jones talking about uh, the psychoanalyst Wilhelm Reich. Mm. And he used Mm. exactly the same language. Oh, psycho-armor, wasn't it? Something like that, was it not? Armoring, he just said armoring. Have you heard of, is it Orgones, that? Well, Wilhelm, Wilhelm yeah, Reich was, was the psychoanalyst. Yeah, yeah. Right, and a very famous and well-respected mm. psychoanalyst before yeah. he got into the Orgones. Orgone. Yeah. Have you heard of Orgone accumulators? No. no, stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I was about to write it down. <laughs> you could, yeah, write it down and have a look into it, but it's, it's uh, <laughs> debatable at best. But it's got, it's got a bit of a cult following, hasn't it? Uh, Orgone accumulators and stuff. There was an article in The Guardian, I think, maybe about a year, 18 months ago, about him, about right. Phil Wright, yeah, but okay. it was completely focused on his psychoanalytical work because okay. he was a, a star in, in that regard. Right. Yeah, so have a look into him. <laughs> I just found it interesting to use the exact same language. Yeah. Yeah, you know. well, I, I imagine his arm, Well, I, if you're doing a counselling course, are you doing sort of psychodynamic counselling or...? Yeah, we touch. We do touch a bit on everything. Right, the, okay. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember where I picked it up. To be honest, I think it was at um, 
one of these tantric, one of these tantric events where they talk okay. about de-armoring in that way. Right. Um, and then I was like, actually, I'm that really massively applies. Like, I literally armored up. <laughs> I went like to find power because I felt threatened at home by this stepdad who, who then at, I, I was having trouble at school because of him. At, he taught at my school, and then I don't want to get too much into it. Like bless him wherever he is in the world. But I was having such a tough time at school and then I was having a tough time at home that I couldn't tell anyone. Mm. I had this abandonment from my friends at school because I was becoming more aggressive because of what was going on at home as a kid. And then also this this male who couldn't connect with me as this kid. So he felt that he'd have to use his physical presence and his eye contact and his dominance to make me feel small in my own house like around my mum and my sister while well, he brought my mum and my sister in and it was like that is what led me to like mm. find this armor and find these weapons and um ultimately got me to the front line of Afghanistan mm. um in whatever way. I don't know. There's no now it's just all it's all in the past and it's mm. processed and it's a story and I don't hold like I've forgiven him in my own like mental world, my own psyche. It's like mm. Um, so the other thing then you, you kind of touched upon then was um, sort of focusing on veterans now and helping them. So mm. uh, tell us a little bit about Heroic Hearts and how you got kind of involved with them. Yeah, so I, I came back from Barcelona. I just started messaging like Robin Carhart Harris, Ben Sesser and um Robin actually got back to me and he said, message this guy called Keith Abraham. He's a, he's a paratrooper. Um, and I messaged him and cause I was thinking, I was there, like, I'm going to start a charity. I'm going to like, whatever it or I had these thoughts like coming back from there. And it turns out Keith was already a few steps ahead of me and he had been in contact with Jesse Gould in America. Um, they started, so they were the first, Heroic Hearts Project USA. Right. And then Keith, I can't remember how he got put in touch with Jesse, but Keith was there like, well, we're not going to try and there's no point. We're not here to build a brand or anything like that. We'll just message Jesse. And they formed an amazing relationship. Um, and we copied like the structure and we get support of those. And then we launched, we're still launching. We're going through the charitable commission sort of, um, stuff that you have to do to be a registered charity mm. um and yeah and we set it up uh, heroic hearts project uk um and yeah they're just we've been picked we've just been helped by so many people like by drug science and the medical psychedelics working group and i've done a couple of talks um with bbc and radio four and David Nutt was on the same phone call. It was like just so, yeah. like, I was like, I'm on the same phone call as like David Nutt. And then I was, <laughs> I was part of the medical psychedelics working group. So I'm on this call with like the leading professionals in psychedelic research. And I'm just, just so humbled to just sit and just be like, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Um, and yeah, and just everyone really got behind this project. And I think he's got loads of private sort of like people who want to invest. Like it's not so much accepted yet in the military sort of, or the veteran community that much at all. It's like most of the 
like funding and stuff will probably come through private donors and then it will spread by more through like word of mouth. Mm. But we help veterans in the UK logistically, we help link them um, with retreats in uh, Peru with ayahuasca and also in Amsterdam with truffles. So the money that comes in, um, we plan logistics, we help them with a bit of pre- um bit of preparation and then when they go to the retreat they're fully in the hands of the retreat so we're not um we're not sort of interfering with the retreat we're just getting there and we've linked up with like imperial um college and um so we're not just there with the experience of the individuals but we're also conducting our research alongside different universities so there's there's two sorts of concepts to what we're doing. It's advancing research so we can help change drug policy. So obviously psilocybin's a schedule one, ayahuasca's a schedule one, which means there's so much red tape surrounding research. It costs thousands of pounds to get licenses. Politics are involved. Who they were the original ones who banned these substances without any scientifically backed research. In fact, research showed the complete opposite to what they were saying, but mm-hmm. um, they banned them anyway due to, you know, societal sort of reasons, I guess, with Vietnam War and the hippie movement and the free love. And mm-hmm. they're like, these drugs are they're not, yeah, <laughs> they've clamped down on them. Um and yes, yeah, so we've got a first retreat planned next year for psilocybin, and it's for traumatic brain injuries. So people who right. suffer traumatic brain injuries, oh. and that's with Imperial College, um, and we'll be conducting our own research there. And it's that's also happening in the USA. So in, it's like, was it transatlantic? No, yeah, is that right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like the research across continents now, and Canada. They've just started a heroic hearts Canada, and. Right. Hopefully, yeah, like sort of no borders with our research type of thing and making sure like we're replicating the research across continents. And it's just once that happens and the government, they just, uh, the UK government, it's like how much more information do you need that this is beneficial um, when there are people killing themselves to this day? And like, they're my friends, man. It's like... Mm, Come on. We know what happened with Dr. David Nutt, don't we? When he yeah. when he stuck his head above the parapet to yeah. you know, suggest changes, he was out the door. Yeah, sacked so, immediately, wasn't he? Yeah. This is what we we played the clip like three weeks ago of um it was Crispin MP Crispin Blunt speaking mm. at PMQ saying we need to uh, remove the barriers for these um clinic I don't know if you call them clinical trials or research yeah. or whatever into these substances. Yeah. What you know? Yeah. What's the outlook look like on that? Do you think there is the political will to get this done in yeah, the near well, term? You know, Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson said that he signed it off, but right. it's being held up somewhere. <clears throat> the Home Office. I don't know. I don't know where it's being <laughs> held up, but we've heard that it might be at the Home Office sort of level rather than it. I mean, I don't um, too much about politics. I don't want to put my foot in it too much, but it would seem part of the problem to me, being a cynic, is that these are natural compounds that can't be patented, yeah. and research is expensive. It costs a lot of money to set up, you know, long-term clinical studies, and there's no. Where's the motivation? Where's the money in it? 
a big farmer aren't going to do it, are they? Exactly. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. got it. So it's got to come from somewhere, hasn't it? Is that is yeah, that the main just... aim of of what you're doing is to try and raise money for clinical trials, or is that? I mean, how's it going to get yeah. done? This is the thing. This is the big. Yeah, I, I, I don't it matters it. how much research or how many good yeah. I you know thoughts you might have. There has to be someone willing to put the money behind it. And there are there, you know, philanthropists like working in the background who are willing to put the money into it. But it's, I can't wait until the UK sort of veteran population sort of comes around to a bit more because we raise three billion pounds a year for military charities, and it's so right. like, oh, you just direct that in a little bit more yeah, of a yeah. of a way towards psychedelics, but. It is. It's changed. So I'm optimistic. I think in the next, I think in the next year and a half, MDMA and psilocybin will will be rescheduled. Um, wow. But what do I know? This is only from like listening, <laughs> like observing, and just being like. Well, it seems to like be that positive. way, doesn't it? But I suppose if it's the Home Office thing, then I suppose that's is that something to do with policing and all the rest of it about if it's like yeah, from class then, one to know, class was it class you- one. Or class A now is it? Yeah, know. but it's, it's not, we're not talking about legalization either. That's no, like the yeah. main point we're trying to drive home. It's, it's no. just rescheduling it from yeah. from one to two. Yeah, um, and then it's still a controlled substance. We're not saying like let's open up corner shops like in Amsterdam and don't clear out your iron cupboards just yet. <laughs> 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 Make space on your windowsills for the mushrooms. Um, I mean, it but, seems I mean, like they're, they're that easy to grow, aren't they? Yeah. It seems like medical marijuana might be the nearest, and that yeah. maybe maybe that can just open the gate and maybe allow these. Mm-hmm. But it's a gateway drug, after all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. They were right all along. Fuck you know. Well, it's um, but it's it's like for me, like personally, like if I look at my substance use now, I'm like I'm just way more educated on what I'm putting in my body. So mm. today, like actually three months today, I've not been drinking alcohol, so I'm going for a year. Um, I quit a lifetime. Well, from the age of seventeen, cocaine use like most years. Um, mushrooms, yeah, I might use at a, a festival or something, but mostly it's like ceremonial use um dmt the same um and it's and like caffeine i've re-established my relationship with caffeine so i'm not just drinking that without without thinking about it so now when i go out i know that it's 4 p.m i'm gonna have a double shot of caffeine i know that's gonna last me up until 11 p.m and keep me stimulated it's like once you understand like all the effects of these drugs you can actually take a lot less Mm. and use them safely and if you want to bring down your alcohol use subsequently, which is like, that's one of the sort of leading causes of, of early disease um, and stuff like that. So it's just, it just means that I'm looking after myself in a different way now. Um, and like, that's for me, that's the biggest positive. It's like, I want to look after myself. I want to live a long, healthy life. I, um, I want to commit my life to research. I want to become a facilitator of psychedelic um uh, assisted psychotherapy and um and like yeah and just help with heroic hearts i'm so, so humbled to be part of this international organization now which or charity um i feel 
yeah, great things are going to happen with them for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to uh, yeah, I think wrap so up, too. isn't it? On a positive note. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And it's been fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely uh, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Definitely opened my eyes to different areas of this uh, topic and um, let's hope that they, they pull the fingers out and get this get this done rapid. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, not literally before anyone else kills himself. It's like that's that's yes. each person who like takes their life now. It's just like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the it's the very least we owe our ex- service men and women. You know, we're very mm-hmm. quick to send them into into harm's way. We need to start looking after them when they get mm-hmm. home. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, on that happy note. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Stay on the line for us yeah. uh, while we play ourselves out and check yeah. out the links in the description and. Go to the, uh, Thanks for having cars. me. No Cheers, guys. No Thank problem. You. Catch you on the flip side. Right, then we're back. <laughs> the cripple and the mother of madness. That was our chat with Guy Murray. Yeah, that was amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. That, was a, that was. You can tell when they're good podcasts because they go over the hour and Phil's not fretting over the... The roadcaster like this going, <laughs> when can I stop it? Tapping on time. <laughs> Casting the runes. One minute 19. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's good. Uh, very good. Yeah. Very good. Uh, food, for, food for thought. Mm. I thought food for thought. Check out the links in the show notes. Yep. Um, the Heroic Hearts web address will be there. Crispin Blunt is a, um, I think he's like the, one of the chiefs there. Right. Oh, he's, okay. He's actually linked to them. Um, and he's obviously on a bit of a crusade, isn't he, in the House? He's, he's yeah. one, uh, an outspoken MP who's trying to get this done. Yeah. And I remember saying a few weeks ago, like, why, why, why are we not looking in? Mm. Why is there so much red tape? You know, in clinical settings, surely we should be able to mm. bang some heads together and get this sorted out. Probably. So we... you, there, isn't the, there isn't the lobbying for it, is there, that Big Pharma have for no. lobbying for, you know, things you can make money out of, essentially. I bet there's very few people against it, though. Like a lot of these things. Uh, I was just going to say, it's the counter lobbying. Yeah. Big Pharma. That's suppose, the problem. Yeah. Who's, yeah. who's making money on SSRIs? Yeah. You know? Mm. Uh, what about private prison? Private <laughs> prisons? What yeah. about police unions? Yeah. There are lots of people who will be against it. And unfortunately, very few, no money in it, and very few people who will be for it. So we can just hope, we just have to hope that common sense kicks in and get it done yeah hopefully you know or you know maybe it'll be other countries if other countries can produce like overwhelming amounts of evidence that you know we can use this and say come on mm-hmm. yeah let's get it done right let's move on housekeeping housekeeping This is a Value for Value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. Uh, word of mouth. That's my favourite way of uh, returning the value. Hitting people in the mouth, saying, check this shit out. Yeah, man. Um, Send people links and stuff. Yeah, my increasingly favourite way is uh, guest suggestions. Well, that's good, yeah. Yeah, guest suggestions. Um, stick them on the old Discord or contact us directly at the Amish Inquisition at gmail.com. Yeah, you can leave us a review on your platform, listening platform of choice or viewing platform of choice. I also like those ones because I get to read them out. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can forward to them if it's not an iTunes, because we only really check iTunes reviews, don't we? Yeah. Um, because there's that many different podcasting platforms now, we can't be checking them all. No. So, so you, forward them. Yeah, you could send them to that email address I just gave you, Inquisition at gmail.com. Yes. Yeah, check out the Amish loot chest. Yeah, and get Look at this. This uh literally a communist. By the way. Because I'm literally a communist. Hoodie that Matt, Matt is modelling. Someone made a comment about this. Said, said that was it a communist? Said that why are you wearing a, a politic uh, a, a hoodie with political <laughs> slogans on it? I said it's ironic. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say who it is? Who was it? Who's been a guest on this podcast? Oh, Dan. Here's Dan. Yeah, <laughs> Dan. Dan the millennial man. Yeah, he was trying to he was top try- shaggy Dan. <laughs> he was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> why is he, is he attached now? Has he found love? Oh, he's just, yeah, and then he just goes back top shagging again, <laughs> doesn't he? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, so if you scroll down to the show notes, you can find the link there for the Amish loose, loose, Amish loose chest. <laughs> the Amish loot chest and get your, your communist hoodies, current great T-shirts, three weeks to flatten the earth, mugs. Yeah. T-shirt, I've still not done the hoodies. Ugh. So I have to spin, I've just had too much on. Um... What else can you do? Join the LinkedIn. Uh, join the Discord. <laughs> join the LinkedIn, yeah. <laughs> join the Discord. Link with us on LinkedIn. <laughs> you can do that. Yeah, you, you could can. do. We, we've, had some fa- we've had some Facebook friend requests this week. Yeah. Have we? Yeah. yeah. Right, okay, cool. We're not really on there. No. It, it just gets put there automatically. If I put someone on Insta, it goes to Facebook automatically. Right. So oh, We can redirect really. you to the, uh, the channels we... Yeah, uh, Discord is the place to be. Mm-hmm. There's a link um, in the show notes for that, the invite for Discord. Um, nobody's requested a jingle for pff, a year. That's <laughs> £5 minimum donation, though, so it's probably why. Yeah, but we do have people who have recurring donations of that amount. Yeah, so if, yeah. you, you know, if you're on a, a monthly donation of a fiver... Yeah, that's you can true. just send a little message saying, play me... Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah, free yeah. jingle. I don't know, play me what... Uh, I don't know. This is such a crock of shit. Or maybe you have, um, maybe you have like a story that you could tell with multiple jingles. Yeah, you know. Oh, so it, this is such a crock of feces. You know. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Focus Chi requests. I like that. Focus Chi is definitely working in my life. Every single request um, I've put forward has been answered. Um, have we said about artwork? Oh, yeah. Show, Show artwork. artwork. How many pixels, Ben? Go. Hey, 4,000. 4, hey, tell you what. No. I'm such, I'm <laughs> such a pro yeah. in graphic design now. I don't care what pixels. Just oh. Throw it at me and I will sort it. Oh, 16 right, okay. by 16 pixel artwork. Can you, can <laughs> you, that, might, that might look shit. <laughs> can you sort show artwork on Microsoft Paint? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm actually fondling the GIMP. Oh, Gimp. Oh, someone suggested that, didn't they? I remember. Yeah, we didn't get any um, submissions for show art that worked this week. No, but... So I have... I have provided my own. Yeah. Would you like me to reveal the artwork? Well, I'm I'm active on Discord, but you can anyway. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Do it for Ben. Oh, Oh, look at that. Nice. I like it. Well, on Discord, I didn't actually pick up there was a background of mushrooms. So that's good. There you go. Wait, may, well, yeah. I don't want to criticise too much, but we can. Have, I'll give you some notes later. Right? We've got some like green, <laughs> some green mushrooms in the back, and then oh, like a, people can't see that, can they? 
Yeah, you can if you're watching on, on Odyssey. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this yeah. is like full-on production values, you know. <laughs> oh, right. It isn't just for us. This is for the eavesdroppers, <laughs> the lurkers on Odyssey. You know, if you, you... YouTube can't see this. No. Because this doesn't go on YouTube. Censored. Yeah, but if you listen to the MP3 on Spotify or whatever your podcast, podcast platform is, if you go to Odyssey and you want to see how the sausage is made, you will see the artwork, and you'll see the artwork disappear now. Oh, my word. Look oh, at that. That tasteful Star wipe. Wars Ooh. vertical wipe. Yeah. You always got to wipe your ass. <laughs> that money. Yeah, from front to back. Yeah. Um, artwork. Yeah, so I'll, th- I'll just thank myself then, shall I, for the artwork? So, yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you, so. um, Although I never get thanked for things I do for the podcast, <laughs> so I don't go. think my <laughs> Phil should thank himself because you do everything. In my, uh, I'm sort of envis- envisaging in the future where we will have multiple submissions and we will be able to pick the best one. We'll right. be able to decide, the oh, three of us, a casting vote. Okay. You know, we can throw up the different artworks and see which we think's best. Okay, so me, you and Ben have to do one a week. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you've got some artwork, uh, if you join the Discord, you see, there's a thread there saying who next week's guest is. Yeah. So that gives you a week to come up with some artwork and submit it via the Discord or via the Armistice at gmail.com. And uh, we'll queue them up here and we'll be able to go through them and Is pick the best one. A week to flatten the show artwork. Mm, precisely. Yeah. yeah why not? Right. Is that, Is that all the housekeeping? There's, uh, yeah. there's another way you can support us. What's that? Through generous donations. Toss a coin to your Absolutely. Do it for the lads. 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 Because. Oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Absolutely. If, uh, if you go to the armistinquisition.com, or, uh, there's a PayPal button there, and you can give us a one-off, sign up, sign up for a... I can't get my words out right tonight. It's not what it is. I'm really struggling. Give us a, a monthly, recurring, sustaining donation. Donations above the level or at the level of £50 will grant you the status of executive producer for that episode. And that looks great on your curriculum vitae, your LinkedIn profile and whatnot. Yep. It does. Yep, yep, yep. Only you listening can save Blockland. Keep the shit show going. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for your donations this week. I think it's time, isn't it? Is it time to thank the producers? Yeah. Well, who have we got this week? We've got Nomi Nosnodge, Slicko, Rona Kesson, Helen from Berkshire, Bunyanut, Lee from the Big Conspire, and mostly festive. Thanks so much for supporting us. Mm, you are so. Amazing. In your love. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their love. Bed run out the music bed. I'm gonna to have to alter that. Beautiful for next week. Yeah. 
Um, okay, let's go on. Testing, 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 test, 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 test that motherfucker. Testing, you're blue in the fist. COVID-19 news. People have got to understand vaccination is going to be, in the end, your route to liberty. The magic vaccine. A big fat shot in the ass. From hell. Oh! You know, it's just, you know, super painful. Like a judgment day and terminating, mostly. I'll get the vaccine. You fucking leave me alone. <laughs> Before we get into the meat, I, I thought maybe we should set up a weekly uh, sweepstake. Okay. I think we should have a sweepstake of um, how many footballers are going to collapse on the field, clutching their chest in the week. Uh, well, this is I, I've started taking a note of that recent. Well, over the last sort of few months, really, starting with um, the well, Danish guy. Yeah, the Danish guy. And then there's lo- been so many more Sergio Aguero potentially having to retire because of cardiac problems. Shouldn't laugh. Should I? Um, but yeah, there's so many, isn't there? Uh, who are, did anyone have three for this week? <laughs> I didn't. No, know. we're gonna have to start it, aren't we? Yeah. There's a Sheffield United one, John yeah. Fleck. Mm-hmm. Um, the Triori guy, Ad- Adam. Right. Adam is it Adama? Adama is he is he collapsed with it as well? In the Champions League this week. Really? Yep. All oh, right. Okay. Uh, playing Real Madrid. All oh, right. Okay. Must be a different Triori then. Diamond Triori plays for Wolves, doesn't he? Oh, no, I didn't recognise the name of the club. Oh, right, okay. But it was against Real Madrid right, on okay. Wednesday, I guess. Was it Wednesday, Champions League? Right. Yeah, was he not like a, a Cypriot team? Could be. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of the club. Right, okay. Um, and the other one, um, I'm not sure it counts because it wasn't during the match. It was like in the warm-up or training. That was Wigan Athletic. Right, yeah. Player. Yeah, it's becoming hard to ignore, isn't it? It's wild, isn't it? That nobody's saying anything about it. Do you not see Trevor Sinclair on Talk Sport? No. He started to. He got halfway through a sentence, and they just cut it, cut him off straight to commercial. Really? Yeah, wow. They, they binned it. They pressed the bin button. Okay. Yeah. Have we got the clip? No, it's ah. it's it's really bad quality, and oh, it's literally him saying half a sentence, and then he cuts. It's, right, it's okay. pointless. Um. Yeah, it's only really been sort of ex-footballers, isn't it? Letitia has been on it. Well, the he's big, like... the beginning, hasn't he? He's, yeah, he's... A Outspoken. Bit, yeah, but also a bit wacky with what he says as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, Something to uh, keep an eye on. But it's um, it's mad how there's an obvious link there, isn't there, to myocarditis... And it's just no, you're not allowed to, the press isn't allowed to say it, obviously. They're obviously not allowed to say it. It's like you're not allowed to say that I can't buy Vimto from Asda because of Brexit. Can you not? It has to be something else. You you can't blame the stock shortages on Brexit. Oh, right, okay. Similar. Um, I mean, there's a problem there, Ben, in that it's not just the UK that's having uh, supply chain issues. But I'm in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't get Vimto from us. Exactly. G- Germany haven't left the EU. So why are they having supply chain issues? Because we left the EU. Yeah. What about America? Because we left the EU. Nothing to do with China shutting down production. Yeah. They were never in the EU. Or uh, <laughs> a lot of it's down to lack of drivers. Mm. Uh, we cancelled all um, HGV driving tests for a year. Yeah. So people retired. 
and there's no one, no one coming in. Mm-hmm. And part of it is definitely Brexit is definitely a component because we can't. Um, well, travel international travel was shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you can blame that on Brexit or the pandemic. Neither helps. Well, a bit from column A, a bit from column B, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what you say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, should we go on to the big story of this week? Yeah. Um, there's been talk of a new variant. I don't know if you heard about it. And it started on, I think it was Wednesday, or maybe it was Thursday, and it was, um, was it Al Jazeera? That's what you said before. I know, I'm just looking, and I've got two clips with the same title, uh, so I'm concerned now. Oh, I'm no. guessing it's this one, but uh, this one looks like Weon. Oh no, it's this one. But let's not, let's just check my notes. Green South African variant, Botswana variant. Yeah, this is Al Jazeera, and this is like the first report that hit YouTube. <clears throat> on the news are here at Al Jazeera, and there is breaking news on the current COVID situation. It's coming out of Belgium, which has confirmed a first case of the new coronavirus variant, the one we were telling you about uh, a little bit earlier, which has been detected uh, in South Africa and has prompted a number of countries to review their travel restrictions, European nations particularly rushing to impose those uh, restrictions. Dominic Kane in Berlin uh, with more on this and the COVID situation across Europe. This is, you know, we don't want to get alarmist too quickly, but... Bullshit. They're fucking lapping it up. And there, yeah, yeah. This was the first report. Yeah. We don't want to get too alarmist. Panic! Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, who's the Scottish guy? No, it went Scottish guy on uh, Dad's Army. Jones. Was mm. it Jones? Yeah. <clears throat> don't panic. Don't panic, Captain Manning. Mm. Uh, and then we move on. I've got the clip of, who is she? What's she called? Maria Van Kerk- Oh, no. No, we're going to uh, Weon, my, f- my favourite news channel. Mm-hmm. World in One News from India, we on, and it's my favourite anchor as well. Uh, let's see what she makes of it. Also, the virus from China. It's proving to be very hard to fight. It has mutated yet again. A new variant of the Wuhan virus is spreading in South Africa. Scientists are calling it the deadliest variant till date. The most horrific version, quote-unquote, of the Wuhan virus. Such statements have triggered panic. This morning, almost every market in the world nosedived. From India to China to Japan, stocks were in the red across the world. Countries are rushing into travel restrictions yet again. The UK, Germany, Italy, they've all banned flights from South Africa. Other countries are mulling such travel restrictions. Are these fears justified? Is this variant really the deadliest? Well, no one knows yet. No one knows yet. Yeah, this is just how it's... This mm. is how it's rolled out in the media. It seems I read something that it's it, it seems that it's quite mild. Well, the the South African doctor who discovered it mm. yeah, said, yeah, the the symptoms are mild. No one's had to go to hospital yet, right? But it doesn't matter because it's the media that drives this shit. Yeah, the media, absolutely, yeah. and the politicians. Yeah. So let's move on to uh, <clears throat> this was day two, I think, of uh, the new variant. And that's when the WHO came out. I've got a clip. This is Maria Van Kerkhove from The Who, <laughs> World Health Organization. Uh, she finally claimed it up and, and uh, cl- claimed it up? Cleaned it up. Is that what I'm trying to say? Cleared it up, not cleaned it up. And uh, what would you call it? Name The naming ceremony <laughs> of the new 
a new variant. So today, WHO's Technical Advisory Group on Virus Evolution met to discuss the variant B11529 to discuss what we understand about this variant and if it should be classified as a variant of interest or a variant of concern. Based upon the information that we have, particularly from South Africa, um, they have advised WHO that this variant should be classified as a variant of concern. So today, we are announcing B11529 as a variant of concern named Omicron. Yes. At last, a new one. <laughs> a new one. It's been about six months. It's had something fresh. Thank God for this new uh, var- variant. Yeah, it's just what or we political scurrying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Deadly variant. Or political scariant. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do we think? Isn't this how the, um, or potentially how all viruses kind of go? Yeah. Uh, they all they all mutate into different things. They might get more or less um, serious, more or less contagious. I think, isn't this exactly what happened with the 1918 flu influenza Um mutated into something that was more contagious, less um, dangerous, quote-unquote. Um, and then there was a couple of spikes in the 50s. 57 was a flu pandemic 57. Year. And 68. 68. And then 2009. The H1N1. Yeah. I remember my dad telling me he got the flu in 57. Yeah. And he said he was, like, deathly. Yeah, it was a big deal. My, my, I'll say it was a big deal. Just life just went up and out, went on as normal. Well, yeah, he just went to work, basically. <laughs> yeah. And was, like, almost dying. Um, I mean, the closest analogy would be SARS-1, and yeah. that just vanished. It's gone. Right, okay. That's I good. Mean, I don't even think we have samples of it. I don't even think they took samples of it. Right. I think it's just it just disappeared. A flash in the pan. Right. Mm. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Is there any chance that... I'm sure someone's looked into this, that SARS-CoV-2, which is what this used to be termed, is a mutation from that original one. Mm. So it sort of went into hibernation for like, 20 years. Well, like like with the Spanish flu, 1918, and then peaked in, what, 57 for us and 68, like you say. I thought they were different strains. I, I don't know, I don't know. Yes. Yeah, well, well SARS-CoV-2 is different, different strain, isn't it? Right. Yeah, from SARS-CoV-1, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, he's uh, they're saying masks back on Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. Masks Great. on. And Three more weeks of stink eye when I go to fucking Aldi. So it's, I've yeah. I've got mine, it's just full of poo bags. Uh, <laughs> masks on. And what's the other thing they've said? Testing at the border, is it? That's it, yeah. Now and Christmas is definitely not cancelled. <laughs> definitely not cancelling Christmas this year. Oh, Christmas it, will definitely be better. It's masks just in retail. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. not even hospitality. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, yeah. so it's going to make all the difference, though, isn't it? That's so it's, strange. And tra- transport, isn't it? Trains and schools. They want them in secondary schools. I think today they they said yeah. that in communal areas. Yeah, but not in the classrooms. Jesus Christ! Which again, you know, makes no sense either. Yeah. None of it makes any sense, does it really? No, it doesn't. Oh, God. No. Such a mess, isn't it? It's because it's political. Mm. 
much so. Uh, but good news for the pharma companies, so they can get a new vaccine yep. in 100 days. Uh, yeah, I read that as well. 100 days? Mm. Yeah, max. Yeah. So that'll be your fourth. That'll be your fourth jab. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, we're not going to win an arms race against Mother Nature. No. no. Sorry. Shouldn't have bothered. And we'll, we'll see. Played the clips months, you know, maybe, might be a year ago, of Geert van den Bosch warning about what would happen if you started... Mm rolling out vaccines in the middle of a pandemic. So we'll have to see what happens with this Omicron because it seems that it's all on the spike protein. 32 <laughs> mutants on mutations on the spike protein, which is what the vaccines are targeted yeah. against. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if the spike uh, protein antibodies that vaccinated people create when they come across this virus, whether that will hamper them and impair their their immunity. By the same token, those spike proteins are, are what the virus uses to attach to your ACE2 receptors, I think it is. That's right. Um, so that, if that's impacted negatively from the viewpoint of the vaccine, then it becomes a less efficient vaccine and potentially it's not as, not as bad. So what, what's the point, you would argue, of of rushing to create a vaccine for something that's, that's, you know, ostensibly a better variant than Delta in terms of outcomes? It depends what the clinical outcome of this variant is, even if it exists. Yeah, we, well, we need we don't to even know if it, it could just be a, a fictitious mm. for all we know. The way I've seen it explained is that you come under attack by a heavily mutated version, you create antibodies which are ineffective, and they hamper, they get in the way. Why would you create antibodies for something your body doesn't recognise, though? If the, if, the, if the spike proteins are, are mutated so much that you, the body doesn't recognise them, then you're not going to produce antibodies against those spike proteins. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't me. It wasn't my idea. It seemed to make sense. Like It, was, it wasn't like a five-minute thing. It was a long thing that I, had to, that I watched. Um, oh well, I mean, that would be that would you're sort of suggesting that the vaccines would be totally ineffective. Then, if I mean, if you, it depends case, how we're how back mutated to square the square proteins are. Yeah, yeah. Well, poten- think- potentially could be. That's not what everyone's saying, though, is it? They're saying that the vaccines are still effective, so make sure you right. get your booster. Yeah, mm. so saying right. they're underlining get your booster. That's the best way to protect yourself. Mm. they're just making it up as they go along and uh, I don't think they know do they they have no, no idea they what... can't know there's not there's not enough information we know no. probably know a shitload about Delta variant because it's been around for so long we're not going to know a lot about mm. Omnicrotch because it's because <laughs> it's been around for five minutes well we'll see and mm. winter is coming winter is here it's definitely here it was it, snowing today yeah yeah. Out in the snow. I didn't come out in the turbo sled. <laughs> and I was going to say, was you not brave enough to come no out way, in the no old uh, rear-wheeled um, <laughs> aluminium coffin? <laughs> yeah, let's go on to uh, our friends at DW, Deutsche Welle. Deutsche Welle. I've just got a quick clip from them about Omicron. There's growing global alarm over Omicron, the new coronavirus variant that first emerged in South Africa. Researchers say it could be the most infectious form of the virus so far, and it might even beat current vaccines. 
The international response has been swift. Many countries have shut down air travel from South Africa itself. <laughs> the bans also extend to other southern African nations, including Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, and Mozambique. The South African government says the closures are an overreaction. Yeah, I think you mentioned about that. The South African doctor who's saying it's uh, we're completely blowing everything out of proportion. Well, uh, I kind of, yeah, what I'd read about it was that it was more transmissible, but uh, the symptoms were less intense or, you know, less They've already bad. found, um, <laughs> they've identified apparently cases already in the UK. So this is the other thing, isn't it? That what's it's, the point of closing the yeah, borders to somewhere? That, <laughs> the genie's out of the bottle, isn't it? Yeah. And the, the only way, they don't sequence every test, do they? No. So it's samples from... I found something. I oh. heard something from Doctor John on this. Okay, and he was saying that they can pick this up from the PCR. Oh right, okay. Because <laughs> there's something that doesn't light up on the PCR, a certain gene. Yes, I saw that. So yeah. they deduce that it is Omicron. They're guessing. Yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? From no, the PCR, there's some, there's fucking black magic going on here. But the other thing as well is, it's like, you know, the genie's out of the bottle, which it always is with these things. It's probably within the community. You can't have zero COVID. People are saying now it's endemic, not a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, people in, like, New Zealand are in la-la land, aren't they? It's in Australia, I think I read as well. And you can't come into the country unless you're vaccinated Yeah, in Australia. Yeah. So that would suggest... Well, we know the Delta was... The vaccine wasn't great against the Delta anyway. Yeah, so, you know, it's all just a bit sort of farcical, isn't it? Again, it's just descending into... You're just chasing after something that's always five steps ahead, essentially. Do you remember, like, two years ago when everyone was saying, wipe down your groceries when you come in? Well, (laughs) you you can't vaccinate your luggage on an airplane. So maybe the reason this is in Australia now, isn't the fact that people are vaccinated. I know what you're getting at, that, you know, yeah. it's still transmissible even in vaccinated population. But there's no, you can't, you can't have a, a, a border that is so secure that no. you can stop a virus no, it's... from entering your, your sovereign airspace. <laughs> it's the illusion of safety, that's what it is. It's like our fight club. Okay, health security agency. Yeah, calm as Hindu cows. Do you remember the, um, <laughs> the story of the Argentine fishermen? Uh, they, they went out and they didn't have it and they were at sea for four weeks and they got it. <laughs> but that's like, what's the guy, panspermia guy? He's got like Chandra, whatever. Chandra. What's his surname? Chandra Rikwamasinga. Yeah. He says that there's like stories of people from like... Uh, 1500s 1600s on a ship and they all they were all fine and then like six months in well whatever six weeks into a voyage they all came down with the flu yeah um, but he says it comes from the upper atmosphere doesn't he why wouldn't they be up there no no yeah it makes total sense virus particles yeah well, what do they need to sur- yeah. what do they need to survive virus mrnas not RNAs rather a lot. <laughs> no, so they're, they're everywhere. It's like mm, yeah, dormant. A permafrost is always the the scary one, isn't it? That'll be yeah, yeah. that'll link it to climate change. Oh, in the next yeah. ten years, we'll have all oh, the permafrost melting. And it's released 
COVID twenty seven, and it's it's the worst yeah. Omega variant. Yeah. Um. All right. I don't think we've any. Have we anything to add to uh, Omicron? Uh, no, just what we'll we'll watch it and we'll we'll report for the listeners. Reportage. Yeah. I wanted to touch on Abstract Ten Seven One Two. I don't know if you've come across Abstract 10712. No. What's that? It was posted. It's an abstract of a paper posted on the American Heart Association. Right. I think. And um, Dr. John, mainstream Dr. John. 1.4 million subs on... Uh... Is he on 1.4 now? Yeah. He's a correspondent for fucking Deutsche Welle. Is he? He goes on. He, they call him his health correspondent. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> fucking ka-ching <laughs> you get to like 71 and then you start fucking raking it in on YouTube yeah when's he coming on the amateur position <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah, that ship has sailed yeah you gotta get him when he's on it like a thousand subs <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 1700 subs rather than 17 million yeah uh, yeah this weird sort of abstract appeared on the American Heart Association website and it was written by a cardiologist who has like a uh, a stable of 566, I think it was, 570 um, patients. And um, they come to him and he does this, it's called a PULS test, P-U-L-S. Okay. And it's a test that um, tests for biomarkers that can give you a risk factor for heart attacks, mm-hmm. a five-year risk factor. And... Um, his stable of patients are tested between every three and six months and he's had them for eight years. So there's a very solid mm-hmm. going back eight years record of what these patients are testing on these pulse tests. And then this abstract appeared where um, he noticed that within two weeks of people being vaccinated, the risk of heart attack went from 11% to 25% over... Uh, Five years, which is pretty alarming. Which yeah. vaccine? Uh, MNRA. Pfizer, mRNA ones. Yeah, because it's American. Right. Um, I, I thought that because I thought, well, at least most people have asked us, had AstraZeneca. But that's gosh, because all the boosters are Pfizer. Yeah, yeah. I know. So yeah. it doesn't matter if you're in the UK. You're getting Pfizer if you like it or not, if you want to travel and stuff. Um, so it appeared. And sort of, it didn't really go viral because it was on Reddit mainly. People were sharing it on Reddit. It's really strange. It's poorly written. Mm. It's a poorly written abstract. Uh, It uses abbreviations that you don't normally see. I've like, the fucking hell, the amount of scientific papers I've read in the last two years. You get an eye for when something doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. Um, Why that is? I mean, a single author. A single Mm. author for a, a paper is weird. Now, whether that's because he's in a rush because he spotted this or what, I don't know what his motivation would be. But anyway, it it triggered an appearance on GB News by a consultant cardiologist in the UK. Mm -hmm. What's he called from the other side? Malhotra, I think he's called. Is there? Oh, yeah. Dr. Asim Malhotra. He appeared on GB News and he went through it basically with the, the host. Um, the basics of this paper and how alarming it is. So I didn't clip that because I've just told you it. But what he said after was quite interesting. In medicine, in good science, we, we never rely on one study. We need to replicate these findings. However, what I will share with you today 
on GB News is a few days ago after this was published, um, somebody from a very prestigious British institution, cardiology department, researcher, a whistleblower, if you like, contacted me to say that the researchers in this department had found something similar within the coronary arteries linked to the vaccine, inflammation from imaging studies around the coronary arteries. And um, they had a meeting, and these researchers at the moment have decided they're not going to publish their findings because they are concerned about losing research money from the drug industry. Now, this person was very upset about it, um, and I wanted to obviously share this on GB News today. What I would say is that we then, knowing this information, which is very concerning... Stephen Gundry's paper in circulation. Stephen Gundry's the cardiologist, the American one. Mm-hmm. Paper. And also anecdotal evidence. I mean, I have a lot of interaction with the cardiology community across the UK. And anecdotally, I've been getting told by colleagues that they are seeing younger and younger people coming in with heart attacks. Now, what does this mean in terms of the data? We have to put the jigsaw for the pieces together. We know since July there's been almost 10,000 excess non-COVID deaths Um, And most of those, or significant proportion of those, are being driven by circulatory disease, in other words, heart attack and stroke. There's been a 30% increase in people dying at home. And often these are because of cardiac arrest. Of course, this is also something close to my heart because my own father is one of those statistics. He had a cardiac arrest at home July the 26th, so when these these data, since this data has been collected. So where do we go from here? I think the signal is quite strong. I personally... Um, think that this needs investigating. So I think the Joint Committee of Vaccines and Immunization should absolutely investigate this. Um, I think that the researchers, I really hope that they take a look in the mirror and realize the ones from where this whistleblowers come from, um, they realize that they should publish this stuff because their duty primarily is to patients, not the interest of the drug, drug industry. And I think the third thing, and this has been a discussion that's been ongoing, I think now it's high time that policymakers around the world put an end to the mandates. Because I think if this signal is strong and if it's correct, then um, history will not be on their side and the public will not forgive them for it, Alex. So, Pretty strong words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It needs investigating, definitely. What's weird is, um, listening to the politics since then, because this, I think, was maybe Wednesday, Yeah, uh, with the Omicron... The politicians are putting pressure now on the JCVI to give boosters to 16 and 17-year-olds and yeah. to roll the vaccine down to five-year-olds. I know, it's wild, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, that story ain't going anywhere. No. I'm afraid. Yeah, so I thought it was like doubling up, 11, what is it, 12 is it now? So you can have, they'll give the second one to the whatever, that range. And 16 and 17-year-olds have just been all cared for a second dose. Right, okay. The reason they weren't given a second dose... Because know, yeah. fears of myocarditis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess they're expendable there. I know. Bring back AstraZeneca. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it elicit a stronger T-cell response, apparently? I don't know. According to the chief thing. exec, <laughs> Pascal Scorio. That was it. Yeah, he came out this week and said that, but he would. Hank he? Scorpio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hank Scorpio. No, Pascal Scorio. Hank Scorpio. Is it wild? I know the name of the chief execs of all the big farm companies. Yeah, you do. I'm getting too deep in this. You are. You're nuts yeah. deep. Uh, you where to, uh, get rid of your bile. <laughs> you do. Oh, you need a massive trip after all Absolutely. this. I don't know. Should we do the fucking mad guy from the Northern Territory in Australia? I've not heard this. What's this? Fuck me. Gunner. Oh, he's up for a mad guy. 
Mike, yeah. Michael Gunner. Oh, no. It's quite... Yeah, Gunner. He's gunning for fucking everyone. It's quite... It runs on quite nicely from that because that cardiologist was saying <laughs> we need to, uh, like, take it easy on the mandates. Yeah. Right. Well, this is how they do things in the Northern Territory. As you know, last night we took a urgent action to escalate our response in these communities, immediately implementing a hard lockdown. That means residents of Minjari and Rockhole no longer have the five reasons to leave their home. They can only leave for medical treatment in an emergency or if required by law. Whoa. Medical treatment required by law or an emergency. Right. Yeah, that's, that's Wuhan style lockdown. It isn't is, it? isn't it? They're, they're welding them in the houses. <laughs> they're going to get the blood torches out. Yeah. Fuck. These are mainly indigenous Aboriginal communities. Oh, right. oh yeah. First, Obviously. First Australian communities, they call them. Right, okay. It's highly likely that more residents will be transferred to House Springs today, either as. Pos- transferred. Oh, God. Just to the state run quarantine facilities. Yeah. Positive cases or close contacts. We've already identified 38 close contacts in Binjari, and that number will go up. Those 38 are being transferred now. I contacted the Prime Minister last night. We are grateful for the support of about 20 ADF personnel as well. That's Australian Defence Force personnel, the Army. As well as army trucks to assist with the transfer of positive cases and close contacts and to support the communities. So... So he, he does this statement saying we're having a hard lockdown. We're sending the army in to transport people to the Centre for National Resilience. Oh, no. These Aboriginal communities. So what do you think is the reset? You know, how is Twitter going to react to this? Um, warmly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been getting some, some grief from, from the fucking anti-vaxxers. Yeah. People who don't think people should be, you know, have the military knock on the doors and forcibly remove them to a state-run quarantine facility. Yeah. That makes you an anti-vaxxer. This is his view on anti- what constitutes an anti-vaxxer. Do you think at all... This was a couple of days later. ...that your rhetoric around calling people anti-vaxxers, some of whom were vaccinated, has had an impact at all on vaccine take-up in parts of the Territory? No. And I'll repeat it. If you are anti-mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. I don't care what your personal vaccination status is. If you support, champion, give a green light, give comfort to, support anybody who argues against the vaccine, you are an anti-vaxxer. Absolutely. Your personal vaccination status is utterly irrelevant. If you campaign against the mandate, if you campaign against people being vaccinated in vulnerable settings, teachers in classrooms, I'll be really clear, at that point in time, people were actually supporting the idea of a teacher being unvaccinated in a remote... Can you believe that? People supporting ideas of teachers not being vaccinated. Well, teachers having a choice. (laughs) That's the thing. It's a difference, isn't it, between... He needs to add a consultant... Consultant cardiologist, what's it called? I see Malhotra. Yeah, it's an anti-vaxxer now. Yeah, well, into yeah. this fucking Fruit Loop community classroom with kids who cannot be vaccinated. I reject that. I let. I still reject it. And if you are out there in any way, shape, or form campaigning against this mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. If you say pro-persuasion, stuff it, shove it. We are absolutely going to make sure as many Territorians as possible are vaccinated. That is our best protection against this thing. And if you look at the Doty model that's only come out since, that says we've double dose 80 in remote communities, five and up, I think you'll see our vaccine mandate is absolutely crucial to protecting lives, particularly Aboriginal life. And I will never back away from supporting vaccines. And anyone out there who comes for the mandate, you are anti-vax. 
if you're pro persuasion, shove it, stuff it. Mm. We need to be vaccinating five year olds now. Mandatory. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. a fucking loon. Mm. It gets better though. Because he, he wasn't done. This is all from this week. Uh what's I'll just play it. So I urge people not to worry about the insane, unhinged stuff they're spreading online and that overwhelmingly comes from people who don't live here and know nothing about us. 99.99% of the BS that's flying around the internet about the territory is coming from vlogs outside the territory, mostly America, Canada and the UK. Hey! Is he talking to us? Representing? Yeah. People who have nothing better to do than make up lies about us because their own lives are so small and so sad. Well, I don't think my life's that sad. No, I don't think it is. And I don't think we're lying. I'm just saying, you know, don't force people to have a vaccine. <laughs> I don't think that's like... It's so controversial now. I just can't believe that that's a big thing. We we, we talked about Miriam Webster, didn't we, changing the definition? Yeah. If you're, a, yeah. If you're, if you're against uh, mandatory vaccinations, you're an anti-vaxxer, according to uh, Miriam Webster, the largest dictionary in the world. Anyway, it's not finished. I've got the last bit as well, because it's funny, from... Uh, we all know what this is for. We are trying to protect the oldest continuous living culture on the planet. We have tens of thousands of years of history, law, custom and song to keep alive. And if anybody thinks that we are going to be distracted or intimidated by tinfoil hat wearing tosses seeing their parents' basements in Florida, then you do not know us territorians. Thank you. Oh, he's changed wow. tack there, hasn't he? With um, ad hominems. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, sort of. Uh, I suppose um, he. Uh, it, it's it's like the Nazi thing, isn't it? It he, he just fell short of calling them Nazis. It's yeah. when you lose an argument. You yeah, re- when you have to you have to quote the Nazis, don't you? Have to you? revert to ad hominems and personal slurs <laughs> and tacks because yeah, he must know he's wrong in what he's doing. He must know. Mm. Maybe that's why. I reckon he's on the take. Who knows? You know, he should just... I, I just listened to Tim Spector. Being a good, responsible COVID citizen is something we should all uh, aspire to. Yeah, we can aspire to that. I definitely aspire to that. Yeah. Yes. Being a COVID citizen. Um, this is sort of partly just on our, on our way out of COVID. Uh, there's this clip of uh, Anthony Fauci been doing the rounds back from the AIDS, AIDS pandemic. Okay. Pandemic, endemic. Outbreak? What do you call it? First an outbreak. AIDS outbreak. Then a pandemic. Was it a pandemic, AIDS? I don't know. It went across the world, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a clip been doing the rounds on social media that I think bears repeating. We may be starting to see, as we're seeing virtually as the months go by, other groups that can be involved. And, And seeing it in children is really quite disturbing. When you say other close contact, give me some examples. Well, for example, if if the close contact of a child is a household contact, perhaps there will be a certain number of cases of individuals who are just living with and in close contact with someone with AIDS or at risk of AIDS who does not necessarily have to have uh, intimate sexual contact or share a needle, but just the ordinary close contact that one sees in normal interpersonal relations. This after they knew about the transmission rates. Oh, what do you mean? So I say, so he's saying that if you live in a household with someone with AIDS, with AIDS you get you're AIDS at risk of child, getting yeah. AIDS. Yeah. Um, was that before they knew 
about the main transmission routes of AIDS, so blood, sexual contact. Well, he makes a point of saying you don't he have to be a, it, a, a needle user or sexual contact. No, yeah. Oh, well, he's, he's clearly wrong. <laughs> that was a, a very charged time as well, wasn't it? Well, like now, I guess. Mm. I just thought it was interesting. He's was... been such a prominent figure over the last two years. Yeah. He's had a, a long career. I can't believe he's like 80. Yeah. I'd have definitely sected him by now. <laughs> can't, can't, you can't do that until you're 80. So. No, I know, yeah. Did you see uh, Putin's been revaccinated? No. Yeah, he did a, well, it wasn't, well, it was an interview more than a press conference. Yeah, he's been revaccinated with Sputnik Light. Oh, yeah. what's this one? Is that Diet the... Sputnik. Yeah, Sputnik Light. Well, that's the difference. It's lighter. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get a heartburn, no. No. Yeah. Um, everyone should have the Chinese vaccine, shouldn't they? I mean, they've had no deaths for 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> Joking it. Yeah. Joke, yeah, they eradicated it. Mm. That was the whole trigger. It was that guy from the WHO. He gave that um, that presentation saying, look, look what they've done in Wuhan. They've completely contained this. This is the way to go. Yeah, because Lockdowns. they are so reliable and trustworthy with the information that they allow us to absorb. Yeah, I I would not be surprised if if actually the the information coming out of China is as reliable as the information coming from everywhere else. Well, I suppose, yeah. The way, I mean, look, deaths in what is it? Deaths within thirty days. Uh, of any reason, mm-hmm. so they, they won't be using that measure in in China. They'll be saying, "Well, I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what I'm saying." It's probably mainly <laughs> their political opponents who yeah. uh, die of COVID. Fucking hell! Or you know, tennis players disappearing and stuff. Yeah. I've forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, quick, um, I just I got a couple of clips of Tim Spector from the Zoe app from uh, earlier in the week. Every time you say his name, I think, like, wild hair <laughs> yeah. and court cases. Yeah. Oh, I think, like, James Bond. Yeah. Oh, right, dear. Oh, Spectre. that's weird. Tim Spector. There you go, Phil Spector. Uh, he's got some, uh, some advice for us for the winter. Um, so I think it's becoming clear that the, the only really, really we can ensure that say, our grandparents and other, our other elderly relatives are safe during uh, the, the festive period is to get those third jabs administered because that's the only thing that's going to work fast enough. The uh, vaccinating children isn't going to be useful, and it's also being extremely slow in this country anyway. It's probably not going to help us until the spring. Um, and I think... This is the most important message, really, to, for surviving Christmas. Surviving? Oof. Pretty sure I'll survive. That third third Tim. jab is different to the booster jab as well. I've I've come to understand. I think in in older people, they're having a third jab, but it's not the booster for some reason. Or it's not what? termed the booster. I always thought third jab is the booster, but apparently it's not. What do you mean? Apparently, it's not. <laughs> There's a third jab for for a certain amount of people, uh, a certain cohort of aged people, and then there's a booster which is which is separate to that. Apparently, 
Well, my mum's 80 and she's had three. Yeah, same with my mum and dad. So, I don't know. Well, I think the other thing as well, going back, to, well, we're getting drunk. I don't want to talk about COVID still. <laughs> Spectre says we have to stop calling it the booster. It's the third of the Oh, course. right. Is this what's going on then? So it is. Because there's different, uh, there's different terminology. Right. That's what I, was getting I mean, I know there's different formulations. Like the childhood vaccine is different formulation from Pfizer. It's a lower dose. It's a third of the dose. And there's also a different substance put in there as well. Substance. Yeah, some sort of uh, viscous substance. Squalene? No. can't remember what it's called. An adjuvant. Maybe. I think it's more to do with the suspension of the mRNA. Something to do with that. All right. But yeah, it's different. Whatever. Um, he needs to work on his sales pitch, um, Tim Spector. So the final message is to get that Black Friday deal. There's a 95% off your chance of getting an infection with any booster over that period of time. <laughs> so you can take up my offer uh, as soon as you can. I'm down no. with the kids. Wow. That is a bold claim, isn't it? Yeah, he's still rolling out the 95%. Pfizer's press conference. Fucking hell. I mean, Jesus Christ, we did a countdown about that three months ago, didn't we, about how the efficacy, by their own research, waned. And to begin with, how do you... I'm not talking about it. No. It's time to queer up the news. I haven't got anything, really. I've got got the, uh, the CBI... Boris Bojo the Clown at the not, CBI. I, I've not listened to it, so oh, I'll put it on for now. Oh, God, don't play it again. I'll put it on for me, go on. These are important and pressing times for British business. And today, in the northeast of England, the CBI's annual conference was addressed by the Prime Minister. Good morning, everyone. It's fantastic to be here in, in Tidetide, one of the, one of the big uh, net exporting regions in the whole of the, of the UK. It was an orthodox start to the speech, but soon we were into more unusual territory. When presenting his 10-point plan to support businesses going greener, Mr Johnson compared himself to Moses. He also quoted Lenin and then made this pitch for electric cars. EVs may not burble like sucking doves and they may not have that that you love. Uh, But they have so much torque that they move off the lights faster than a Ferrari. As the Daily Mail noted, Mr. Johnson attempted an impression of a traditional petrol engine, <laughs> issuing a series of guttural sounds to confused delegates in <laughs> South Shields. Mr. Johnson also began to list some of the policies he's promoting. With safer streets, uh, with great local schools, uh, with fantastic uh, broadband. But at this point, the Prime Minister lost his place and for 21 long seconds couldn't find it again. Uh, Lost it. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. I've got it. I've got the full 23 seconds, by the way. No doubt to his relief, Mr Johnson then returned to the script. And before he was finished, he wants to talk about a family day out. 
yesterday I went, uh, as, as we all must, uh, 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 to, to Peppa Pig World. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to Pads? I've been to, who's been to Peppa Pig World. Not many hands went up. Peppa Pig World is several hundred kilometres from South <laughs> Shields. The Prime Minister went on. Pepper Pig World is, is very much my kind of place. It has very safe streets, uh, discipline in schools, uh, heavy emphasis on new mass transit systems, I, I notice. Or rather than the... Um, rum, rah, rah, the... Yeah. Oh, so pretty good. Pretty good speech. Not bad. I mean, he's, he's he's coming off the back of a heavy weekend there, isn't he? If he's been to Peppa Pig <laughs> yeah. with his young, his like fifteenth child. Yeah. How are Peppa Pig world going to cope? Because the last time he said, "As we all must," it was you must stay at home and <laughs> and not leave anywhere. <laughs> They'll uh, be inundated. Seventy million people <laughs> going to Peppa Pig world this week. He was he was, uh, he was interviewed the day after by the Ministry of Truth, uh, the B- <laughs> BBC, sorry, and um, says, you know, asked him how it went. In your speech to the CBI, you lost your notes, you lost your place, you went off on a tangent about Peppa Pig. Frankly, is everything okay? I think that uh, I think that people uh, got the vast majority of the uh, the points I wanted to make, and I thought uh, I thought it went over well. I mean, Fine. we all knew. When he, this is what he's, he's always been like. Yeah. So, you know. organised. Yeah, as a buffoon. Seat of the pants. Like on, I know him, what well, I first knew him from was, have I got news for you? <laughs> being on that. And now he's fucking prime minister. Just wish he'd stuck so to that. Happened. Yeah. He was all right on, have I got news for you? Who was the other one that used to go on who was like the, the main Brexit guy? He got Rhys sent Mogg, over. Yeah. Rhys Mogg. Oh, is he on? Higgins, regularly. Yeah. No, there's another. I don't mean. I meant the, the actual guy who got sent over. Um, got sent like, over where? To, to Brussels. Yeah. Well, it was like the main negotiator, but he quit before it ah. got done. He has like grey hair. <laughs> <laughs> was he a white man? <laughs> he was a white middle-aged man <laughs> with grey hair. Oh, that narrows it down. <sighs> Tory party negotiating with Barnier. Old white men. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Can't think of one. But he was on there. And then he, but he, he, again, he got a prominent role within sort of, you know, sorting shit out. Wow, I really should know that. On the high, have I got news for you? Yeah. He was on it all the time, loads of appearances on it. They don't have many politicians on it now, do they? Did they? Too embarrassing. Don't blame him. Why would you go on there? I know, yeah. At the moment, God. Unless, uh, yeah, you're trying to raise your profile. I wonder why Reese Mogg went on there. I think it was just maybe the done thing, isn't it? The same reason it, Bojo went on its sled. Yeah, he wasn't a politician. It was he, before he was mayor when Bo, Bojo used to go on there. Oh, he right, started. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reese Mogg was a serving. Yeah, he was a columnist, wasn't he? And he was on. Um, Esqu- was it Esquire magazine? Wasn't he um, columnist there? Don't know. Spectator. Uh, Spectator, I think he wrote for. Yeah. It's a telegraph he uh, writes. Telegraph for. There was a lads mag he wrote for. Right, it's like okay. the Moulterin correspondent. Front. Right. <laughs> I think it was Esquire. Right. And then, oh, right, you're going to be London Mayor. Jeez. <laughs> you fucking idiot. I know, yeah. I voted for him now, didn't he? Yeah. Who was he up against is the question. That Labour guy, wasn't he? Was, but, was it Livingston? 
I think so. The guy who had it for you said we got one. Have I got news for you every yeah. every season again? Yeah, I read Ken. But I think it is. A, there's a there's a there's an element of becoming a celebrity that helps you within political life, doesn't it? You get your name known. There's been a few women on as well who I'm sure there's a woman who was women? in the cabinet. Women? Yeah, he was, you don't give a fuck. He was in the uh, in the cabinet as well recently. Can't. Um, not maybe not Bojo's, but the other one, Magic Money Tree Lady Theresa May. Sure, I think of um, well, it won't be Pretty the Barbarian. Pretty I think Patel won't have been on, will she? I don't know. It was. I can't remember any of the names. I was just blur into one middle-aged woman or man. There's 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 talk, word on the street. He's that his his days are numbered, and Rishi's going to jump in there. Dishy Rishi. Rishi. Savage Javid. He's the one he's got to watch out for. I'm going to thought it out. Yo, <laughs> so what? <laughs> Yeah. Just uh, every time he tweets, I'll just post a picture of him saying, So what? Because <laughs> of that thing that happened last week. Did you see it? No. He, he was tweeting about the, the booster, um, about the vaccines. Right. And just some random guy replied and atted him and said, I've had my two doses. I've been waiting for my booster now. I can't get an appointment for three weeks, whatever. And he replied, with Just, so what? So oh, now, geez. anytime he tweets, loads of people just. Reply, so what? Nice. And I, I put it in pictorial form. I don't know. It's like, surely he doesn't have a, he doesn't manage his own Twitter account. You wouldn't think so. The you? fucking health secretary in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. You think you would have better things to do than run your social media, you cretin. Mm. Has he not got a secretary he can uh, have shenanigans with, like the last one? Mancock. Mancock. Every vaccination brings us hope. <laughs> oh, God. Fucking vegan. Right, should we go then? I don't know. Are we done? Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Uh, well. Yeah, you know. I'm ready. Yeah, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed the full podcast. Because we've been bored and we want to have fun. Right, let's fuck off into the night then. Yeah. Well, he's dead, so, uh, <laughs> you know, in general, you always have to be careful. Conda forever. Here's Javelin. Epstein, Epstein. Didn't kill himself. <laughs> I like what you got. Good job. I look like a war-hardened goblin. Go back butter. Boots, you take it out. Cut a great... This is such a crock of shit. Kneel before Zod. Save Plotland.